Hello and welcome to episode 270 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And joining me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can also find me on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? Hey, Andrew. I'm pretty good. I'm really looking forward to this episode. It was about a very unique season in Rugby League history. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to rock. Yeah, we're going to rip right into this because this is going to be a long one. So we're looking at the 1997 season. Um, and we're going to start with January. Obviously, we're going to do this in chronological order. And January started out and it was all about the North Sydney Bears, but not not in a good way. Oh, no. So on New Year's Day, see how much of this you remember. Some of this I still, I still recall. Yeah. Um, North Sydney captain Jason Taylor and several of his teammates were involved in an ugly incident out of one day at the SCG. North officials launched an investigation into allegations of players through cups of their own urine over patrons during a Mexican wave. I, I, I remembered something happening at the game. I can't, I didn't remember that's what it was. But knowing what one dayers were like back then, that was pretty par for the course, wasn't it? <laughs> that, was, that was pretty much um, what we, what was expected of you when you, you know, paid your, bought your ticket. Yeah, exactly. I see nothing wrong with that. I'm sorry. Well, the uh, four days later, ARL chairman Ken Allison said North Sydney should consider sacking any players found guilty of misbehaviour. That sounds like the least rugby league statement in history. Um thing that people need to remember is that North Sydney were, they were perennial contenders at this point. Like they were mm. one of the teams to beat and they f- always felt like they were, you know, they were one of the teams to beat, but they always felt like they just needed a bit of luck to fall their way. So when this started happening in North Sydney, it was to one of the top teams in the competition. Yeah. And uh, the day after Jason Taylor was allowed to keep his role as the captain of North Sydney. Of course he was. Integrity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, January 17, Super League secures free-to-air rights with Channel 9, which left the Nine Network able to televise both ARL and Super League games in 1997. The move prompted ARL chief Neil Whitaker to admit that the ARL season draw may have to be modified. The Daily Telegraph hailed the move as a major coup for Super League, as it would, mm-hmm. in its battle against ARL. John Rebo, the Super League boss, predicted a flood of ARL players would switch camps in 1998. Also, Channel 9 Chief Executive David Leckie resigns from the board of the ARL. Yeah, now, the thing to remember about this is that, for the most part, Channel 9 had been behind the ARL and their fight. Yeah. And... Channel 9 at this point basically showed that they were in it for Channel 9 as all of these other media organisations were in it for themselves. And when they decided to show Super League games, it really showed, like, there's no such thing as loyalty amongst media organisations. I know that it really, really upset the ARL. They felt betrayed by this move. And I think rightfully so, when you listen to all of the rhetoric that was coming out of Channel 9 the previous couple of years. Um, and no, I mean, this, was, this was being built up as a big, um, you know, uh, Murdoch versus Packer sort of battle. And then yeah. all of a sudden, Packer's found a way to have his cake and eat it too. 
Exactly. And and look, it was Super League was always just about content and Channel 9 didn't want to lose the content. And so they made a deal with Super League. And But it was funny because at this stage, it still didn't feel real that there was going to be two competitions. And as the season kickoffs got closer and closer, it, it was like, wow, we're really going to do this. And this was one of those steps in, you know, in the way of like, well, they've got a free-to-air deal and it's on Channel 9 and is this going to happen? Like, it, it, it was at that point. It was pretty remarkable, too, that the chairman or the chief of Channel 9 was, you know, you wouldn't say today, but back then he was on the board of the ARL. It was kind of like the ARL's way of saying, um, we trust that you're backing us and so in return we will let you have some degree of say over how we run our game. They gave Channel 9 that much authority and that much power. And then yeah. for Lecky to come around and say, on the day that this announcement's made, where Super League's going to abandon, well, not, sorry, Channel 9 is going to abandon its 100% backing of the ARL and they're going to start showing Super League content as well, mm-hmm. that Lecky stays on as Channel 9 boss, but he also leaves his post at the ARL. It's like yeah, a double look, whammy. Look, I, and I guess at the time it kind of made sense to have. You know, if Channel 9 had invested, you know, money into the ARL, it, it kind of makes, makes sense back then. Um, that was probably the last time a television executive took a step back from trying to run rugby league. <laughs> well, as we're going to find here, there's going to be an awful lot of people who come and go yeah, from all yeah. clubs and from within the game. Mm-hmm. Um January 20, the Raiders boss, Kevin Neal, says the club is considering floating the club publicly, just like the Brisbane Broncos were. Uh, Never happened, though, I don't think. No, and and the weird thing is that Super League was really bad for probably the Canberra Raiders more than anyone because they went from being one of the glamour clubs in the game uh, to just really struggling for media attention. It really hurt them. Yeah. Um. Two days later, ARL chairman Ken Arthurson announces he's going to resign from the New South Wales Rugby League and ARL boards effective from February 28. Leading ARL executive Greg Mitchell also announced his resignation. On the same day, ABC Radio secures the rights to broadcast Super League games. Wow. I, like, I remember when uh, Ken Arthurson made that decision and it felt like changes needed to be made because he was he'd fought so hard against Super League and, you know, all of the court cases they were going through and it just felt like the ARL needed a change to keep the fight going. Oh, yeah. I mean, it took a lot of life out of him. I mean, yeah, he, he was a he was a beaten man by 97. Yeah. But not, not so much in the war, but just emotionally he was just tired and worn down. Yeah, I mean, he'd had personal friendships really destroyed during this time and oh yeah i mean none more so than the one he had with peter moore at the bulldogs they were very close and yeah the bulldogs going to the super league that that damaged them yeah exactly so it, it so it was uh it wasn't a huge surprise and it was probably best for everyone at that stage yeah um the abc securing the rights to the super league i think 
I remember that one, and I, that's the moment I thought that this is going to be a genuine thing because it stopped being about Channel 9 versus News Limited. Yeah. ABC is now saying, yeah, we see Super League as a genuine thing now, and they jumped on board with them, and I went, okay, I think this has probably got legs. Yeah, and it's, it, uh, you know, that they were getting their final ducks lined up, basically, by doing yeah. that deal. So, yeah, I agree. Um, January 25, the Bulldogs allowed Hazamel Mazur to play in the Lebanese team, which was assembled for the ARL World Sevens. See, I, I didn't remember that. That was the interesting move. I think that was the thing that Super League was doing, though, to help try and convince players to come across, is that mm-hmm. we won't ban you from playing on the other code. Well, they were they were very bullish at this stage. Oh, yeah. Like, and and it, the thing about this point in the game's history, and it's only a very small point in the game's history, is that there was a lot of... Uh, campaigning for both sides so a lot of the like the ARL put out a um an advert saying basically it's my game and they were pushing the line of you're a rugby league fan and the ARL is the rugby league competition and these people are trying to take away what belongs to you but support the competition you've always supported whereas Super League their marketing was we're going to make the game bigger and better and we're going to take it across the world. And, I mean, Laurie Daly was talking about being famous in India and places like that. And it was... Taking the game to China. Yeah, yeah. It was very it was very surreal. Yeah. Big, big promises. Yes. Um, on Australia Day, the Sun Herald revealed that Manly and the Roosters have again been targeted by Super League as, you know, even, even in January... Super League's still trying to lure teams across their competition. Yeah, and the, and look, the other thing about getting stuff like that out into the media is they never stop trying to undermine one another, especially the Super League side trying to undermine the ARL. That's right, yeah. Um, January 28, Neil Whitaker begins his career as ARL chief. On, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say too. Uh, he, you know, he had the worst and hardest job of all because he had to deal with the ARL in its year where it was fighting against Super League, and then somehow negotiate peace and then combine the two goads. Yeah, he was. Um, you know, I think that his place in the game's history is severely underrated uh, for what he managed to do. And it really was a thankless task that he took oh, over. Yeah. And he did it very, very well. He did phenomenally well. He's a forgotten hero of this whole bloody saga, if we're honest. Yeah, he really is. He really is. Um, January 29, Willie Kahn becomes the first leading Australian rugby league player to switch to rugby union when he confirms a two-year deal with the Queensland rugby union side. Yeah, and this was seen as like, I mean, I know that he'd, I think he'd had a number of head knocks. He had yeah, a, and, a lot. But it was still seen as like, why did he do that? It it was a little bit strange. Yeah. Um, he'd lost a bit of his pace too. I think he'd had a few knee problems. So. Yeah, and, and like this is at a time when the Broncos have been on a recruitment drive and they're recruiting basically anybody they want. Well, so, that's the thing too. I mean, at this time, they, they then had three um, – world-class wingers, which is Michael Hancock, um, Wendell Saylor, and Lottie Takuri. 
So that yeah. they could they could get rid of Willie Khan. Yeah, yeah, and it was, uh, but it was still. I remember when it happened, and it was like, why would he do that? He surely could have got a, a job in for another club. And this is at a time too where all of a sudden we have twenty two teams uh, in Australian rugby league overall, and so you saw a lot of players that were, you know, reserve just flat out reserve graders getting jobs for yeah. clubs. Uh, he's one I know you'll like. Mm-hmm. On January 30, it was revealed that Channel 9 has switched its Monday night football time slot from 8.30 to 9.30. Do you know why? 8.30 to 9.30. Um, no. What was going on at, at earlier for Channel it be, 9? It was because of the, of the success of Australian drama Water Rats. Oh, well, Water Rats was fantastic. Was Everyone remembers Water Rats. Um, January 31 it's been revealed that the ARL Friday Night Football fixture will also be televised at 9.30 in 1997 it doesn't say why, there was no water rats on on Friday so I don't know what was going on there I know that uh, they used to do a delay because Burke's Backyard I was going to say Burke's Backyard would have been on yeah, Yeah. I don't know why they delayed it further though yeah, no idea Um, maybe for that Chinese audience that they were trying to market (laughs) <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, the World Nines for Super League begins in Townsville. And yeah, that, yeah. I was going to say, and Super League's international chairman, Morris Lindsay, announces that business interests are prepared to invest $60 million into an 18 competition in Japan. Wow. That, I mean, that's some fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember the World Nines, you know, people would bring it up and say, oh, Super League did a, a nines competition. At the time, it, it never really got any traction with rugby league supporters in Sydney anyway. You've got to remember, I'm, I'm in Sydney. Um, and so it, so it kind of happened and nobody really knew about it. That's right. Well, the, the one big talking point came on the second day of the World Nines when the um, video refereeing system, which was being, you know, it was debuting in Super League, hadn't been used before, mm-hmm. had a massive bungle for a, a game there in the nines. So in the very first time they were using it, it's already had a complete botch up. Everyone's going, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it went through some weird uh, iterations, didn't it? Like when you look at the video referee now and you compare it to like the red light, green light system that we had and all of the, Remember it had like 20 metre tap and the light would flash next to that? Yeah, it was sponsored by Hardware House. Yeah, that's right. And they mentioned <laughs> they mentioned the word grouse in their advertising. Yeah. <laughs> um, on February 2, reacting to uh, rumours linking Manly to Super League, Cronulla chairman Peter Gauss says Cronulla fans will have nothing to do with the ARL premiers, quoting, we don't like them, we don't trust them, and we don't want them. That's pretty straightforward. He yeah, had some... he didn't beat around the bush, did he? No, no. He did have some issues that he had to deal with coming up, though. Yeah, yes. <laughs> There's some good ones. Um, Ray Halley announced he's quit Channel 9's The Footy Show. Yeah, well, that was... Like, he had that big blow-up. They had... The Channel 9 Footy Show, they had John Rebo come on. Mm. And uh, it was pretty fiery. Did Paul Vorton have an argument with him or something? 
Well, I know. Basi- I know Mario did. But well, basically, everyone on the A on the Footy Show were basically aligned with the ARL at the time. Mm. And when John Rebo come on, they were putting some pretty pointed questions to him, and it wasn't really arguments. It was just pretty frosty. And I think between that and uh, like, and I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure they've all talked about it, that, you know, Hadley had a falling out with some of the people on the, the footy show anyway. Um, You know, it, it, it was the, the way to go for him. Of course, the footy show went from strength to strength as after Hadley left, you know, they didn't miss a beat, but, um, no. <laughs> it sort of all it, it, that all played together. It did, yeah. Uh, also, on February two, uh, the Australian Super League team was beaten by the New Zealand team in a quarter final of the World Nines, and the Kiwis went on to win the Nines for the second straight year. Oh, there you go. Um, February four, Super League is officially launched in Australia by Laurie Daly. Now, was that the uh, where they had? everyone come out and they all had basically the exact same design jersey with yes. just different colours. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I remember that. And there's no I sponsors on the front either from memory. No, nah, no sponsors. It It's weird that they thought that that was a good idea. Yeah, it just, boy, it, that's the one thing I'll take away from Super League is those jumpers were all atrocious. They really were. I don't, I used to call um, the Panthers one a multicoloured vomit. Yeah, it, and it looked like too that it was two people who vomited, and it's just one on each shoulder. Yeah, it pretty just much trickled trickled into a V shape in the middle. Yep, yep. One hundred percent. They were all, they were all it, horrible. It kind of showed how um, last minute a lot of the things were because I think they had three different designs, and they just changed the colours. And yeah, it was it was not a good look. No. Uh, the next day, the New South Wales Industrial Court begins hearing a case involving five Panthers players, Brisbane recruit Anthony Mundine, and the Bulldogs Rod Silver. The players were challenging the validity of ARL loyalty contracts. Yeah, and that's that was, about uh, the one thousandth court case in rugby league at that time. Exactly. Uh, Ken Cowley is appointed chairman of Super League. Oh, there you go. Uh, February six. This has taken probably a week or so. Manly and the <laughs> Roosters officials rubbish speculation linking them to Super League. Yeah, and the, the Roosters made out pretty much more than any other club from this whole Super League Ooh. saga. Uh, they, were, they were a really small club before all this started. And all of a sudden, because of the Super League war, they got to recruit a number of star players. Um, I... I guess Manly were hurt by Super League overall. They're a very strong club, and I guess the Super League war kind of took a toll on them. I think, yeah, that and the um, the growth of the Roosters yeah. as a financially viable team. Mm-hmm. Um, it also had a bit of an impact, I think, on Manly in, a, in some degree. Yeah, because before the Roosters got stronger, it was really Manly was that team that was sort of their place yeah. Just to buy, you know, all of the players they liked in Sydney. And then this, kind of the Roosters took that mantle over. Well, I'm reminded of um, Manly put in a bid for Wally Lewis back in, was it 1986 or something? 
Yeah, and it, I think it was knocked back by the Queensland Rugby League, wasn't it? It was. They would not let Wally go, and I'm pretty sure that was an insane amount of money that offered him. Might have been mm. close to a million a year. Mm. It was it's huge money. Oh, yeah. Um, February 9, two of the North Sydney players are fined five grand each following the quarry instance on the New Year's Day cricket match. The club insists that Jason Taylor was not one of the players fined. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Parramatta win their first trophy in more than a decade when they take out the World Sevens comp and claim 65 grand in prize money. 65,000, wow. That's... Uh... It's interesting that the only titles that Parramatta's won mm-hmm. since that dominance in the 80s have been when only half their teams are allowed to be on the field. <laughs> just, just, just putting it out there. Sorry, sorry, Eels fans. Um, February 10, the Australian Financial Review suggests that a merger between the ARL and Super League could be deemed illegal under the Trade Practices Act. Well, they got that one right. Not. Yeah. Well, like, and keep in mind, once again, News Limited, you know, they're, they're basically saying, you know, it's our way or the highway. Yeah. Uh, February 12, Super League's new judiciary system is unveiled. The feature of the new judiciary is a points-based system, which ranks various grades of offence. That's where it came from. Yeah. That's the system it, we've got now in the NRL. Yeah, and like it's been refined, obviously. But, uh, you know, there were things that Super League, I guess, because of the way they they put themselves to clubs and they would say to clubs, look, what's happening is unfair and we're going to fix that up. And so there are a couple of different things that they did that were good moves. And I think that was one of them. Yeah, they had, they had the video ref. I mean, they were the two major ones that the the NRL, when they you know reunified the competitions, they definitely took on board. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brad Fiddler. He endorses a Super Bowl match between the winners of the ARL and Super League competitions. Yeah, and I'm sure that the ARL loved it when he said that too. Yeah, that, that would have went down like a bloody lead balloon, that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, February 16, 10 days after the uh, the earlier announcement, Manly and the Roosters have formally committed themselves to Super League. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if they actually did or if that was just more of the undermining going on in the media. Well, it did come from the Herald. Oh, which okay. Was, which was the, the Sun Herald. Yeah. So it's an interesting one. Um, strained relations between the Newcastle Knights and the Hunter Mariners deteriorate further with both camps threatening legal action against each other over comments aired in the media. <laughs> that that relationship, that was at its peak right there. That was at a, the best it got. It was all yeah. downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And the people of Newcastle, like, if there's there has, I don't think there's ever been a a sporting club anywhere on planet Earth that was disliked more by its local fan base than the Hunter Mariners. Yeah. Oh God, they were, the the stories that came out of there. We might come across a few here, but yeah, they were it was pretty nasty. Mm. Um. The Sydney Morning Herald reports that Super League CEO John Rebo has invited Jeff Kennett, the Premier of Victoria, to bid for the Super League Grand Final. And I guess, look, that was another one. That's it. They were moving towards that sort of the Grand Final isn't in Sydney every year. Um, you know, whether that was a good way to go or a bad way to go, I don't know. But 
it, it's funny. I remember after this, they would ask Broncos players what they thought about the biggest finals being in Sydney. And I remember Gordon Tallis saying everyone thought that the Broncos hated it, but the Broncos actually loved it because they grew up watching all of these big games in Sydney and they wanted to play in Sydney. So they weren't, they didn't want to go and play anywhere else. They wanted to play where the traditional big games were played in Sydney. But yeah. of course, Super League was saying to the clubs, all the games are in Sydney. We don't want that anymore. We're going to change that. And so this is part of that change. Uh, also, on February 17, there was talk of a merger between the South Queensland Crushers, who were financially a bit of a basket case, mm-hmm. and the Gold Coast Chargers. Yeah. I uh, Man, it's weird to think that the Gold Coast Chargers probably didn't need that, hey? No, this is the thing, and we'll come across it throughout this season, but this is 1997, turns out to be the single greatest season in the Gold Coast Chargers history. And I think it gave them an air of confidence that they could continue that run. Yeah, and the other thing is too, like while all of this is going on and all of these clubs are spending money and stuff, the Gold Coast Chargers actually made money. And it's still like, I think it's the greatest miracle in rugby league that the Gold Coast Chargers were making money during Super League while everyone else was not just bleeding money, but like going broke, disappearing because they had no money. And yet here are the Chargers. The Chargers actually ended up loaning them after they were folded. They still had the money. They ended up loaning that money to NRL clubs after the merged competitions come together. And I think the last club they gave money to was uh, the Newcastle Knights. Oh, we might come across that. I don't remember that one. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, February 18, the ARL applied for an injunction in the Supreme Court to prevent Jack Elsgood and John Cross from joining Super League clubs Canterbury and Penrith. Yeah, because uh, John Cross, yeah. I mean, he ended up playing for Penrith. Yeah. So, Jack Elsgood going to the Bulldogs. Imagine having Elsgood and El Masri on your wings. Yeah, the double E's. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, the South Queensland Crushers announced their intention to fight on without the ongoing financial backing of Kerry Packers PBL. That was a good call. Yeah, and and, and the thing at this point was that um, the Brisbane Broncos wanted Brisbane all to themselves, so they, you know, and, and the weird thing is that the ARL didn't put all of their money into the Gold Coast. Uh, that sorry the South Queen, South, was Queensland. it Southeast Queensland Crushers? No, nah, just South Queensland. South Queensland Crushers, yeah. And uh, because, but the the Crushers, I remember when the Crushers come into the competition, they were the ugly duckling from the very first day. Like there was nothing to suggest that they were ever going to challenge the Brisbane Broncos. No, no, they were. Uh... They kind of looked like a feeder club to the Broncos from the get-go. They really did. They, uh, it, it was kind of sad. Yeah. Um, February 19, the London Broncos announced that British millionaire Richard Branson is to buy a 20% stake in the club. Yeah, and they were a, a glamour club in the game at the time. Um, they were attracting big-name players. 
did they yeah. at that stage have a union with the Brisbane Broncos? Because I know a lot of Broncos, Brisbane Broncos players were going to London when they first became the London Broncos. Yeah, like I don't know. I remember there was some sort of link, but I don't know exactly what it was. Um, but it's weird to think that the London Broncos, I mean, they've just get, they get Richard Branson on board. And they attracted great players themselves. Martin Offia played for the London Broncos. Mm. I think Sean Edwards might have played for them yeah. from memory. Um, like, they were a destination club. Sad that it all kind of went downhill for them from there. Yeah. Uh, Super League boss Ian Frickbird says there will only be one competition in 98, and it will be Super League. But he, was open, he was open to adding in two ARL clubs. Gee, I wonder who they might have been. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the Daily Telegraph reveals that the Super League is considering moving the Perth Reds to Melbourne in 1998 yeah now this is interesting because in a way it kind of happened yeah Um, and I, I wonder I wonder if the people that were running the Perth Reds at the time knew that this was on the cards that they were going to get wound up but it's interesting that that come out so early. Yeah. It's almost like they, they knew that the writing was on the wall of the club. Yeah. I mean, the Perth Reds are aligned with the Super League already. They haven't even played a Super League game yet, and Super League's already saying, <laughs> we're moving you on. Exactly. And, like, the thing about Super League, and I can't remember if they'd had all of their teams lined up ready to go at this point, but they only had a 10-team competition. So they, it's not like they had all of these teams. And look, they had to make up a couple of teams at the last minute. Mm. So, you know, to have one of the established clubs already being rumoured to be on the move, it's it's not a great look. Especially a club in a city other than Brisbane or Sydney, because that's kind of what they wanted, was they wanted to have a team in every state. And they were were kicking those goals. And they're all medically saying, "Mm, we're going to get rid of one. Yeah, but what, like, when the... NRL, sorry, when the ARL and Super League come back together and they form the NRL, one of the big things for for News Limited when they did that merger was they said, we definitely 100% want a team in Melbourne um, and we we don't care how it happens, but we're going to have a team there. Yeah. And the ARL agreed to that and that's how we ended up with the Storm. Yep. Um. The ARL's Premiership Committee recommend the reintroduction of a salary cap in conjunction with a point index system. Yeah, look, that there's always been talk of having a salary cap that is points-based. Having a salary cap at this point, even talking about it, was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and, and talking about even having a points-based one was ridiculous. Um you know, so I don't know why they even brought it up at this point because the salaries for players were completely out of control. Oh, no they one, went nuts. Yeah, and, and no one was, I mean, even, they weren't even going by can we afford these players. They were just buying them and worrying about whether they could afford them later on. I mean, there's a classic example of, um, you know, Steve Edmed. Not many people are going to know about Steve Edmund. He played for the Tigers in the, the late 80s, early 90s. Mm. And at the tail end of his career, he switched clubs, I think, to the Cowboys. Mm. But he signed a huge deal worth several hundreds of thousands of dollars just because the money was there. They were going to pay it. 
I believe there were even some players that come out of retirement. Oh, probably. It was nuts. Mm. I um, got a good one here from the North Sydney Bears again in in uh, February 21. Yeah. Some more, some more bad publicity. The club receives more bad news following an alleged incident between several players and a number of elderly lawn bowlers in a suburban car park. What? <laughs> wow. Uh, do you reckon Jason Taylor tried to put a hit on a little old lady and just got his ass handed to him when she turned around and just knocked him over with a handbag? Decked him. All I know is that at the time, somebody would have said, Jason Taylor was definitely not involved and he's still the captain. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm 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 I want to go back through the uh, newspaper archives if I can and find out more about that story. That is too good to just leave like that. I I don't know what it was. I need to know more. Yeah, that was a good one. That one. (laughs) Um, February twenty-two, Auckland boss Ian Robson succumbs to pressure from the Warriors board and resigns. Uh, February twenty-three. Former Kangaroos Jeff Gerrard and Chris Mortimer are appointed selectors of the New South Wales Super League Tri-Series team. Yeah. Uh, February 24, an unusual alliance is formed when Parramatta Leagues Club is announced as the major sponsor of the Parramatta Rugby Union team. Yeah, look, this was a time with Parramatta, the club overall. They... They at one point they had the soccer team that they ran called Parramatta Power, and I think this was probably along those lines. Um, you know, Leeds Rhinos kind of did a similar thing. It might have been at the same time too, and they were all trying to work out how they could be twelve month a year businesses. Mm. Um, it didn't work out for Parramatta with all of these ventures, but you know they were trying. Yeah. Um, February 25, Super League announced a $1 million sponsorship for their referees. Do you remember the name of the sponsor they had? Uh, oh. A pretty good brand. Was it Was it uh, OPSM? <laughs> Toddy, no, it was Sony. Ah, there you go. That's interesting. That was a, that was a big one. Um, February 26, the Perth Reds announced that Chief Brad... Brad Mellon would be standing down. Um, they are refuse an offer from John Cross and Jack Osgood to repay the 150 grand they each received for signing loyalty payments. Wow. Uh, February 27th, the Supreme Court grants the ARL's application for an injunction to restrain Jack Osgood and John Cross from playing in the Super League. Um, February 28th, Ken Alton's last day in office, and Telstra is named as the Sponsoring right uh, as an aiming right sponsor for Super League. Yeah, it, now it was called the Telstra Cup. Yep. And when the merger happened, uh, when at the end of this season, um, we had the Telstra Premiership. Yeah. Still do. Okay, March 1. After all the hype and all these podcast episodes, um, volumes of legal documents, acres of paper being printed on, in newspapers, the Super League competition finally kicks off with a crowd of 42,000 watching the Broncos play the Warriors. The Broncos won the game 14-2. to Yeah, and uh, lots of fanfare. Mm. And it turns out it, it was just rugby league. Yeah. 
yeah, everyone was sort of watching and wondering what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And they just found out it was just footy. Yeah. To, to an extent, I think the build-up having happened for so long sort of came to a rather disappointing conclusion because you found out in the end it was just footy. Yeah, with like, clubs, like, clubs yeah. we already knew. Yeah, with the like the same as the other competition, just with mm-hmm. video refs. Um, yeah. At the end of the round, Super League referee Bill Harrigan was critical of the wired for sound innovation which broadcasted every comment made by the ref. Apparently yeah. his viewers didn't like it much either. <laughs> Glad they stopped doing that then. Um, yeah, like I guess, you know, he, he was a, a, an experienced enough ref then. He probably was having conversations with players that were pretty straight to the point and, you know, all of a sudden the refs can't do that anymore. So I, I can understand where that, that put him out a little bit. But if I was Super League, I would have said, hey, Bill, Look how much we're paying you, mate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quit your bitching and get your, your, do your chatter on the field. Exactly. Um, March 5, Knights prop Glenn Grief is uh, sidelined for the rest of the year after suffering a life-threatening blood clot in his chest after a major knee reconstruction. Oh, well, I don't remember that. Yeah, that's a new one for me too. Far out. Um, the ARL announced they will not go ahead with the video refereeing system they, they had lined up because of concerns over delays arriving at decisions. Man, some common sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, the South Queensland Crushers announced AV Jennings as their major sponsor for 1997. What are, they you... still a, are they still around? I what did they used to make? Houses. Oh, don't... You know, like... Um, Kit Houses? I like Simon Simmons and, um, you know, all those ones who, who build houses in new, new housing estates. Oh, yeah, McMansions. Yeah, yeah those things. So they, they built those mostly up in Queensland. Okay. Yeah. Um, March 7, the ARL kicks off, and the Canberra Raiders confirm a multi-million dollar sponsorship deal with ANSET. Whoa. That was foreboding. (laughs) (laughs) That went down well. Um, March 10, the ARL and Super League officials both admit to augmenting attendances by giving away thousands of tickets to opening round matches. Now, I was victim of this at one point. Uh, Yes. You know, one of the, like, I went to a game where they'd given away too many tickets. Um, But at this point, in 1997, I would have paid for, because I, I went to games, I can't remember if I went to any Super League games. I'm pretty sure I would have, just the Panthers games. I definitely went to a number of ARL games. I reckon I paid for tickets twice. Like, you could get tickets easy. Everyone had tickets. If you were like, oh, let's go to the Parramatta game. Uh, okay, who's got tickets? Oh, so-and-so has tickets. Like, they were giving them away at McDonald's. With, <laughs> with, like, seriously, with Big Mac meals, everything. Everyone was giving away tickets. And you really would. You'd watch a game and, and hardly anyone would be at a match. And the attendances they would put up would be absolutely ridiculous. Like, we, we, we all make fun of the Roosters for doing something similar now. It was like three times worse. Yes. 
Um, on March 11, banned Super League recruit John Cross returns to the Illawarra Steelers. Um, Super League CEO John Rebo says there is a strong chance that Super League would establish a club in Melbourne in 1998. Mm-hmm. And Auckland chairman Gerald Ryan comments on referees saying, I know blind people aged 106 at the bottom of the South Island that could referee better than some of the Australians. Now, do you reckon that that would be considered bringing the game into disrepute? <laughs> I reckon, yeah, I reckon Ricky would probably look at that and say, where's his fine? Yeah. <laughs> and But also, is he wrong? Wow. At the time, who knows? <laughs> um. Newcastle captain Paul Harrigan is sidelined for a month because of continuing migraines. Yeah, and like he, I was thinking about this yesterday, funnily enough. He had a lot of wars, especially with Mark Carroll, Mm. where they would belt the hell out of each other. And I remember watching Paul Harrigan the last, you know, season or two of his career, and he was getting knocked out pretty easy. Yeah, Um, kind of mirrors a bit with Boyd Cordner. uh, Yeah, it does. It does. Um, and the thing about Harrigan was that, like he would he would play at a hundred miles an hour, yeah. and ninety seven was really his last great year as a yeah, player. Yeah, I mean, he had no no thoughts of self preservation. That's what made him so great. He just threw everything into every hit up, every tackle. Mm-hmm. He was just a, an absolute machine. That man. Um, March fourteen, Jack Elsgood signs a one year deal with the Roosters under the terms of his Super League contract. The Super League is forced to pay Elscott 190 grand to play for the ARL. Wow, that's a sweet deal he did. <laughs> oh my god, that was brilliant. Um, Laurie Daly blames his team's poor attitude for their fourth consecutive defeat and not new coach Mel Meninga. Good on you, Laurie. Wow, Mel was their coach. It's uh, I wonder if that was a bit of a sweetheart deal for Mel Meninga. Yeah, well, how many years was it after this that Mel went into politics for three seconds? It's a good question. It was around this time. Mm. Like, because this is the time when Mel came out. It was just after the year after Mel came out and said that the game had given him nothing. Remember that? Yeah, and he regrets saying that. Oh, yeah. And, but, like, anybody that heard, and Mel Meningo, you know, was like thought of as a god in rugby league, and well, when he said he that, he Cameron broke Smith a lot of the hearts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Cameron Smith, but more, more loved. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely, and and he broke a lot of hearts, and it still hurts people. And I think that there, you know, there's a there's a lot of people that never got over that that comment, and I get it, I get it one hundred percent. But uh, and Mal Meninga really fought for Super League to go ahead. Um, but, yeah, the, the as I said before, the Canberra Raiders Super League really, really hurt them. They went from being, you know, it used to be the Canberra Raiders versus the Brisbane Broncos, and they're the two best clubs. And, you know, when are we going to see them in grand final? And when Super League was formed, a lot of people thought, all right, here we go. And then Canberra starts losing games. It didn't go right for them. And it kind of have, hasn't gone right for them since. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until 2019 they managed to get back to a grand final again. Yeah, and, like, they they used to be the media darling team. They used to be the team that was playing Friday nights, 
you know, they used to be the one that everyone wanted to watch. And it was because they were so excited to watch. Like, they'd rack up try after try in so many games and rack up big scores. Like, people just wanted to see them, you know, doing what they do. They were absolutely entertainers. Yep. And they used to also hold a little bit of the place that the Melbourne Storm took over where, you know, the, the Raiders would find really good players uh, from interstate or from overseas and and they'd just come out of nowhere and be great players. And the Melbourne Storm kind of took over that mantle from them. Yeah. Um, March 17, and isn't in a weekend match where Chris Caruana from North Sydney, again, allegedly racially vilified the Knights' uh, Owen Craigie, which led the ARL to develop a policy aimed at stamping out racial and religious taunts on the field. Caruana was fined and relegated from the Bears' starting lineup. And two days after that, the ARL announced that clubs will face fines of $20,000 if players are found guilty of racial abuse. Yeah, it's pretty strong. That was really strong at the time. Uh, March 19, Quinton Pongi becomes the first player suspended by the Super League when he's found guilty of a reckless tackle. He went hard into tackles. <laughs> mm. uh, March 21, Neil Whitaker admits that the ARL will not consider establishing a team in Melbourne in 1998 unless it is a guaranteed immediate success. As if a team in Melbourne will ever be an immediate success. Yeah, like that's going to happen. <laughs> um, so, this, is, this is why um, Andrew Farrer, I don't know if you remember him, wasn't yeah. such a great coach. Because after a game when Nathan Brown starred in a 20-8 defeat of Illawarra, playing for St. George, Andrew Farrer described him as Daly M, Churchill, Gaznia and Wally Lewis all in one. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's a fair rap, eh? You know what would be funny? Mm. I bet Rugby League Week didn't even give him a 10 out of 10 for that game. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Oh, boy. That's... That's back when Nathan Brown had hair, by the way. Yeah, I mean, don't get us wrong. He was a very good hooker. Yeah. Um, At a time when Australia had, a, you know, they're in this transition. Like, they had the Benny Elias and Steve Walters period with Kerrod Walters occasionally playing as well. And then they moved from there into, you know, Craig Gower, uh, Luke Prittis, then Danny Badera sort of region. There was a bit of Jim Sedaris in there as well. True, true, yep. Um, and let's not forget Aaron Raper, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the other thing is, too, that that period of time, that little gap there, what you saw at rep level, well, for New South Wales and Australia, for the most part, was that Jeff Toovey and Andrew Johns would switch that hooker role. Yeah. They, they would be the preferred hooker at rep level. Yeah, I mean, Tuvi was so good, he they couldn't leave him out. And furthermore, um, they would choose him to be the halfback. Mm. And a lot of that came down to the fact that, obviously, Johns was a better defender. But Tuvi was able, he was, he was apparently a, a lot clearer with communicating plays and stuff to the team around him. And yeah. Johns was more of a, at that stage of his career, a follower of orders. It wasn't yeah. until a few years later that he became someone who was able to take control of a team. And, yeah, we saw that in 2001 from then on. Yeah. And the other thing about Johns, too, he was if he if he had played at hooker, he would have been the best hooker of all time. Oh, um, no doubt. 
you know, it, like it, you look back at the, the 1995 World Cup where he won games on his own with his, you know, performances playing at hooker. Um, he was that good as a hooker. So uh, just goes to show what a great player he was. Yeah. Uh, March 24, the Crushers fullback, Clinton Shifkovsky, admits to a positive drug test for anabolic steroids. Yeah, and like the least likely anabolic steroid user of all time. Like he didn't look like he was on anything. Yeah. Like he, he didn't even look like he was eating steak. Yeah, he looked... <laughs> He looked borderline malnourished. <laughs> like, exactly. it must have been really watered down. Yeah. Kid, kids with malnutrition were giving money to Clint Shevkovsky because they thought he was starving too much. <laughs> you have our rice. The, and the funny thing is, at this time in the game's history, neither side wanted to ban anyone for any real no. reason. And so I would suggest to get pinged for doing any sort of drugs at this time, like uh, it would be, it would be a loss in the PR battle. Yeah, exactly. And in just in the player strength battle, you know, Yeah, I would love to know how many drug tests they're actually doing at this time. <laughs> well, we know one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, on March 25, the New Zealand rugby league confirmed that they will not consider playing test matches against the Australian rugby league national team. Yeah. And they kept the ARL, Australian team isolated. Yes. Um, what have we got here? The ARL announced the establishment of a new major player of the year award to replace the Rothmans medal. Um, that was because, you know, cigarette advertising had been banned by the federal government, so they couldn't yep. use Rothmans anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was called the Nokia Proven Summons Medal. Yeah, and that, the, like they carried over the uh, the Proven Summons medal into the Dally M awards. Yes. Um, but yeah, some great, some great sponsor names here that we don't hear of too much anymore. I know <laughs> Nokia. Like I remember everyone's phone used to be Nokia's. Yeah. That was and like then, the only phone you could get. Yeah. And now like, good luck. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Phil Gould is highly critical of the Super League competition, questioning its passion, credibility and substance. Yeah, and he was also paid by the ARL. Exactly. That's another person. Phil Gould made a lot of money during this time. He, he, he did reasonably well, yeah. Yeah, and he wasn't alone. I'm not going to be unfair to him, but he he made a lot of money. Here's a good one. April 2, the Rugby League Week describes the Parramatta Eels as $9 billion duds. Now, it's funny because of all of my friends are Parramatta fans. And they had spent so much money to put their team together. And I used to make so much fun of them that they could. And I, I used to say it was $10 million because you round up. <laughs> so, and I say like, they can't even buy a premiership for 10 million bucks. I watched some real bludger games at Parramatta stadium between the Eels and other teams. <laughs> uh, they were, they spent so much money on top quality, not genuinely good players. And they just couldn't win. They yeah, were horrible to watch. They, the funny thing is, for all of the money that they spent, they never really found that halfback that they needed. No. They're still spending money on that halfback. Yeah. Um, 
Perth Smart Guy considers quitting the game after he cops a 10-week suspension from the Super League judiciary after being found guilty of eye-gouging. I, I remember that. So do I. Yeah. Um, it, was a, it was a pretty interesting one because the from memory, the, the footage wasn't conclusive. And, like, I think that that decision might have come down live during the footy show. And the I'm pretty sure it did. And the, um, like, they, my guy come out the judiciary and he said something, and I can't remember what it was. But whatever he said, it was funny, because I remember the audience laughing. Wow. But he didn't mean it to be funny. Well, he announced after he copped his suspension that, it was going to cost him two hundred thousand dollars. Whoa! Um, also on April four, two spectators are burned by fireworks at a Super League game at Penrith. I remember that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised it hasn't happened more. Yes. Um, April five. The ARL confirms that Phil Gould has quit as coach of the Sydney... Or- so this is a Sydney versus country or city of the City Origin team, citing personal reasons. Yeah, I, c- I didn't remember he was coach of that team, hey? Yeah. Um, April 8th. Super League is reportedly giving away thousands of free tickets in a bid to boost the attendance at the opening tri-series match between New South Wales and Queensland. Um the ARL insists that there will be no such giveaways for the state of origin. Did yeah, you get I'll, one of those free tickets? Um, I'm trying to think. Did I get a free origin ticket? I can't remember if I got a free state of origin ticket. I, I remember the, the Super League Tri-Series, like, they they come out and they said, we're going to bring in New Zealand to play New South for Super League, this was. New Zealand were playing in with New South Wales and Queensland, and... It was worth a try, but it didn't really work. Um, the second longest game in rugby league history ended up being played in that that try series between those teams, between New South Wales and Queensland, which was later beaten by who was it, Ireland versus Spain that you and I watched, yeah. which uh, went for about 150 minutes. Yeah, um, but epic. yeah, that it, it's interesting because at this time, the state of origin, it was pretty easy to get a ticket. So yeah. for them to be given tickets away to the, the Super League Tri-Series, I can't remember what the crowds were like, but they must have been pretty poor. Yeah, I don't think they were great. Um, April 9, Ricky Stewart claims that the Super League's insistence on speeding up the play the ball has backfired and created a very boring brand of footy. Yeah, and and it was really around this time where the idea of speeding up the play the ball really come to, you know, to the forefront of thinking about what rugby league should be, and we saw it get to some ridiculous levels. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. it was like touch football, um, you know, and somebody like Ricky Stewart as a halfback and an organising halfback, somebody that had the best long kicking game in the competition by a long way. Um, it really probably dulled his ability and it really made the focus be on the hooker more than anything. 
So I can see where he didn't like that. Absolutely. The other thing is too, that as Debbie said, the camp, and I, I know I've said this before, but the Canberra Raiders have gone from have really quickly gone from being one of the teams to beat every year to everything's going wrong. And their yeah. players got old really quickly. They, did. they were really struggling in this Super League season. At like the start off, they took a long time to get their first win. It might have been four weeks or so. Mm. Um, and it was an only an 18-round competition. So that meant they were a long way behind the, the eight ball to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, on April 11, it's been reported that there's no sponsor for the Super League Tri-Series. Mm-hmm. And there's reports of ticket giveaways ranging from between 4,000 to 17,000 for the opening game. The official crowd was 26,731. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what they could get away with saying. Yeah. And if they're talking, even if you pick the middle between 4,000 and 17,000, that's still around 10 grand. That's almost half the crowd got in for free. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, April 13, it's reported that North and Manly have held secret merger talks. That's crazy because those two clubs hate one another. Yeah, absolutely hate one another. And they're two of the best clubs in the game as well. Yeah. Um, April 13, Bauhain player Michael Gillette accuses referee Paul McBlain of grabbing his jumper during a match against St. George at Cogra Oval. The Tigers coach Wayne Pierce storms into the referee's room after full time and gives him a, a, a gentle, um, let's say, conversation. Because uh, two days later, Paul McBlain is dumped to second grade over the incident. Well, I can't remember that. He must have really grabbed his, his jersey pretty aggressively, I'm guessing. He must have done, yeah. Um April 16, AFL officials are angered at reports that fans queued up outside the SCG to watch the Swans were ambushed by offers of free tickets to the Super League Tri-Series match next door at the SFS. That doesn't shock me. Like, it's it's hard to explain how easy it was to get a free ticket. Like, they were, they were giving them away on radio stations, everywhere. Everywhere had free tickets. That's nuts. Um, the Super League is accused of hijacking the Anzac spirit by paying 20 grand to gain the support of the RSL to promote their Anzac Day test match between Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, and this become this has been contentious for a long time, I think. Yes. Um the commercialization of Anzac Day to sell, you know, football tickets in in all sports. Yeah. I don't like it. Um and this was the start of it in rugby league. Yep. Now, here's one I do remember, which sounds like a rather minor story, but mm-hmm. an all-in brawl in a Commonwealth Bank Cup schoolboys game between Camp Hill and Clairvaux McKillop College leads to the abandonment of the competition sponsorship by the Commonwealth Bank. 20 players were handed suspensions ranging from one week to one year. Whoa. I remember when they pulled out their sponsorship. Um, it was a big blow, too, to the yeah, competition. It, that was, well, it eventually killed it. Yeah, and, and it was a big competition at... You saw a lot of stars come through there. It was on television. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's where Andrew Voss, to a large degree, started his main play calling career as a commentator. Like for a long time before that, he was a sideline commentator or a color commentator. And he'd sometimes fill in, but he actually got a regular gig every, I think it was Saturday morning, they'd have one game televised. And that was his gig call on that game. Um, 
<laughs> April 17. Four Adelaide Rams players are disciplined by the club after being charged by police following an, a fight outside an Adelaide strip club. Wow. <laughs> Rugby league makes, <laughs> makes its appearance in Adelaide, eh? <laughs> um, the ARL's 12 clubs commit themselves to the 1998 Optus Cup and a $5 million salary cap. Which means none of that means anything. No, but that's still a hefty salary cap at the time because I think prior to the Super League war coming in, it might have been $3 million. It, Yeah, it was way, way lower. But mm. I would suggest that most clubs were well over $5 million. The big, the top clubs were oh, definitely yeah. like five million. Probably wasn't even half their squad. Um, Phil Gould announces he will stand down as the New South Wales Origin coach. Oh, uh, there you go. Let's see, Super League Judiciary Chairman Ian Callanan rejects Mark Guy's bid to appeal his eye gouging ban. Um, April 20, Balmain hooker Darren Centre is a surprise selection in the first ARL representative teams of 1997. Yeah, he really deserved it. He was, he was a damn good player. One of the few players who was um, a genuinely good um, player at hooker, mm. but could also fill in at lock because he had the build for it as well. Yeah, he was a solid dude. Yeah. Um, wholehearted player too and magnificent set of teeth on him. He really did. And he was like, he was the heart and soul of the Balmain Tigers at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mark Guy drops planned Supreme Court action to overturn his suspension. He, he was going all in there. Yeah, he was. Um, Canberra Lock Bradley Clyde tarnishes his perfect record when he receives a one week suspension for a grade three dangerous tackle. Oh, wow. It's a. Uh... It, it's sad the way his career ended, Bradley Clyde. Yeah. Unbelievable player. He really was. At his at his peak, he was he was thought of as he's going to be an all-time great. And I think the reason that we don't talk about him as an all-time great is because after that head-high tackle in the um, Ashes series in 94, mm. he was just such a shadow of himself after that, that it was yeah. like the last... I guess the last third of his career, he just wasn't the same player, unfortunately. God, he was, he was great to watch, though. He really was. Like, he took... That's the thing. Like, we had this great run through the 70s into the 80s and 90s when it come to lock forwards. We had, you know, Johnny Raper, Ronnie Coote, and then you came into Ray Price, Wayne Pierce, um, Paul Vaughan was there occasionally, and then you got... Brad Clyde, it just seemed to be this unbelievable combination of all of those guys before him. He had the fitness that Pierce had. He had the ball skills that, mm-hmm. you know, Johnny Raper had. Um, had the the toughness that Ray Price had, you know, as far as being able to do all those tackles, do all those hit-ups and stuff like that. Um, just unbelievable all-around player. But, yeah, that, that head-eye tackle was a pretty nasty one, and it did. I think it did rattle him a bit. Yeah, it was shocking. I mean, a great defender, great ball runner. Um, the, like the first play he'd pick in a rep team. He, he was oh, he was easy. he was great. He was such a great player. Unbelievable. Um, all twelve ARL clubs signed a document pledging loyalty to each other and the ARL, which once again meant absolutely nothing at this point. 
It's like handing people Christmas cards. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, Tommy Rodonicus is named coach of the New South Wales Origin team. Yeah, and people were like, I remember when he was named and, and people were like scratching their heads over this. <laughs> and he's the most talked about Origin coach since. Yeah, everyone, it was every, like, like all you got to say is cattle dog now. Everyone goes, ah, Tommy. Tommy, ah, oh, Tommy, yeah. <laughs> and it's weird because, like, um, you know, was it by design that it, it, they were like, this will work, or did they just luck into it being a genius move? Yes. Now, <laughs> <laughs> on uh, April 26th, Clinton Shoskowski returns to football after his reprimand following his positive drugs test. <laughs> yeah, see that, like... <laughs> he did, he, to be fair, he did do a number of weeks for that. Oh, I don't think he missed much footy. No, no. I would love to know how many players actually tested positive to ban substances and that test just went straight in the bin. As you said before, I wonder how many tests were actually being taken. Yeah, true. Because there were some players during this time, and th- like you think about it, You've got players that were like dead set reserve grade players who were getting very big contracts to play for like teams like Adelaide and filling out teams that they had to make out of nowhere. And and every club, you know, just for depth and things like that. And it it, it is mind boggling that there weren't more players that tested positive for steroid use because you could have gone from being, you know, just having a regular job to earning hundreds of thousands of dollars being a football player overnight. I mean, you you saw, and I'm not saying that this is one of the players, but we talked about players earlier who just their sign-on fees were $150,000, and they weren't stars of the game. Um, and you, you did, you saw a lot of players at this time sort of come out of nowhere, and they looked pretty damn good. Yeah. And I even at the time I thought, man, this is suspicious. And there were even some star players that I was like, this player looks ten times better than they did last year. <laughs> it seemed very suspicious to me. And yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if it was absolutely rife in the game at this point. Absolutely. Um, May one, the ARL announced a three-year sponsorship deal with the State of Origin Series with Coca-Cola. The deal is worth $2 million, reportedly. Not a bad deal. Yeah. Uh, the Courier Mail reports that crowds in Brisbane are down 45% since 1995. Yeah, and, like, it's interesting because the, before, before the Super League war started, the Broncos' crowds were outrageous. Like, you kind of look back at them and... And think there must have been a mistake, and they've they've never really got back to those levels. No, no, it's it makes you wonder how much the impact expansion had in Brisbane, and it's something I raised in the discussion we had with Nick Livermore last year mm-hmm. was the worry that bringing in a second Brisbane team, whether that was going to take away from the Broncos, and if if that was the case, is that the reason why the NRL has been hesitant about? expanding to a second team in Brisbane. Yeah. I mean, to his credit, he gave a good response, but I wonder if that's still just in the back of their mind. Yeah, but I I also think back during the Super League war, 
you know, Brisbane rugby league fans were rugby league fans. And you've got to remember that the Broncos had only been around for nine years at this point. So they weren't like a, they weren't the longest living club ever at this point. And I think that what they had done to the game and been at the forefront of, of the game really upset a lot of their supporter base. Yeah, it's, this is the thing. They, they'd been controversial from the get-go. Like when the Broncos came in in 1988, a lot of people in Brisbane hated the idea because it was going to decimate their competition, their, their Brisbane competition, because it had got to the point where it was as equally as good as far as player depth and, and match quality as the New South Wales Rugby League was. Yeah. And the Broncos coming in was going to destroy that. And to a degree, I guess it kind of did. Yeah. And then it was only a few years after that, the Broncos started fighting with the New South Wales Rugby League. Yeah. And like having these, like it was really bitter fights with the New South Wales Rugby League and, and demanding a lot of things. And, you know, and when it all reached that crescendo with Super League, I, I really do. I think that there were a lot of people in Brisbane that, you know, their their 100% approval rating disappeared. And I don't know whether it has ever returned, to be honest. No, I, I agree with you on that one. Um, May 5, the St. George re-signed hooker Nathan Brown for five years in a deal worth reported half a million dollars a year. That's outrageous. <laughs> in 1997. Wow. That's insane money. Yeah. But, you know, we are talking about the combined <laughs> Daily Messenger, Clive Churchill and Wally Lewis. That's true. He's a bar- Andrew Farris somewhere going, wow, that was a bargain. Yeah, geez, we got off lightly there. <laughs> we sitting there talking to his, to the managers going, man, how good am I? I've got the best player the world's ever seen. I've got him for half a million a year. Imagine any club at this stage, though, signing a player for five years. <laughs> they like, probably think it's a discount. Yeah, it, like everything was so up in the air, like who was going to survive. Even questions about whether rugby league itself in Australia was going to continue. And he's, you know, the Dragons tossing up a five-year deal. $2.5 million five-year deal. Cop that. Yeah. Um. A meeting between the ARL and the education department officials is designed to introduce a code of conduct to schools to cut the level of violence at school sports matches. We're starting to see a trend here with Neil Whitaker. And while it's obviously reacting to a lot of things that happen, it's going to be that way. But he acts on things pretty quickly at the very base level of everything to try and change things from the ground up instead of working from the top down. Yeah, a really good operator. It'd be really interesting to talk to Neil Whitaker. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to have him on. Mm-hmm. Um, May 6th, the New South Wales State Treasurer, Michael Egan, announces a 33% tax increase on poker machine revenue. Yeah, now this, it's funny because we just got out of the era of tobacco sponsorship and a lot of people said that's going to really ruin the game. And then all of a sudden, this poker machine tax comes in, or they're starting to float it at this point anyway. And that become the next big thing of, well, how will that work? And, you know, the game won't survive and blah, blah, blah. And, of course, it does. Uh, I mean, there's some crazy stuff coming up here. <laughs> um, 
Julian O'Neill is sacked by the Perth Reds over a number of off-field incidents. I think in order to keep this podcast under 17 hours, we won't go into the stuff he got up to. Yeah, that was – he He was – man, he'd be in the, in the final running for players that kind of uh, – he was a great, great, great player, like a, an international player. He was versatile. He could play 5'8", he could play fullback, he could play him in the centres – you know, a really good player, and he just, but off the field, he he was just a basket case. Yeah, he he. Uh, I don't think he got potty trained long enough. <laughs> we can just leave it at that. Yes. Um, on May ten, the ARL came under fire from the Australian Family Association over a State of Origin advert, which appeared in two magazines, stating, "State of Origin '97." Right arms, eye, teeth, and left nuts are no guarantee of a ticket. What? <laughs> I dare say it's the put, left nut. Who put that together? I don't know. Well, you know, it's an old Aussie saying, yeah, I'll give my left nut for this. So oh, I'll put okay. that in there. Okay. It's, uh, I think it's a it's an attack on Super League saying, well, Super League's giving away free tickets. You've got to do, you know, there's not going to be many tickets for this, so you need to... Get in early. You're not getting any freebies. I see. Well, I'm glad the Australian Family Association was right on top of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my morals have been kept intact because of that. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, once again, they save us. They have. They have. I mean, we've got to be thankful for that. Um, May 14, Gary Schofield is charged with threatening to kill his estranged wife. Well, Mr. Forty Nine, eh? Yeah. Careful. Uh, yeah. May fifteen, Julian O'Neill signs a two-year deal with the South Sydney Rabbitohs worth four hundred thousand dollars a year. <laughs> That's outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know what? I did a I did a tweet today saying, do a write about a historic event, but make sure your tweet is wrong. I did see that. I was looking yes. at I was following the uh the responses. You had some very good ones there. Yeah. Well my tweet for that that him signing is this is gonna end really well. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um New Zealand manager Laurie Stubbing infuriates Super League by claiming that the no try decision in the Tri Series game was part of a marketing plot to ensure New South Wales met Queensland in the Tri Series final. I, I don't remember that. Mm. Um, I I remember from the Tri-Series that it just felt like New Zealand were not on the same level as the Super League, New South Wales or Queensland teams. Um, it, it, it must have been weird for the people running Super League that they're trying to keep uh, the PR side of it all good, but they keep on running into the sporting aspect of it. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, it's a crazy allegation to make. Because mm. there's nothing you can do to support it. So it's just stupid. Yeah. Um, May 18, Manly coach Bob Thornton says a merger with North Sydney is possible. North Chief Executive Bob Saunders described the proposal of a merger as unlikely. Someone should have told him. The boss is speaking. Shut up. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> 
Uh, May 19, New South Wales defeat Queensland 23-22 in a period of sudden death extra time in the Tri-Series final. Yeah, and that's that that game that ended up at the time was the longest game. They said it was the longest game of rugby league. I'd be doubtful that it was. Um, It was a pretty good finish. I think that was it one by with a field goal by like Noel Goldthorpe, I think it was. That's it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember watching that game and it, it it definitely didn't feel like it, it like it wasn't state of origin it was the tri series it didn't feel like it had the stakes in play the origin did it kind of felt like an exhibition game and you know it, it was good to watch but you kind of didn't feel anything about it that's right it's, no one was you know thirsting for more of it no um may 21 it's reported that the Ian Frickbird and Neil Whitaker have met to discuss a compromise in the game Civil War. Uh, also, Parramatta coach Brian Smith predicts that the English clubs will struggle to keep up. They were That's his quote. In the Super League World Club Challenge. And he was 100% correct. If anything, um, he, he underestimated how, how right he was. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting that we had that meeting because both sides kind of knew what was going on was unsustainable. Um, and News Limited knew if they could do a compromise deal, they would be able to do it and still keep their content on Foxtel, which is all this is all about, is just having rugby league content on Foxtel. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as everyone got their content, everyone was going to be happy. And, I mean, this 97 season at this point, is a shambles like the super league season is a bit of a footnote and it like it, even as a rugby league historian you would know this all the super league records and all of that they seem like a bit of a footnote that yeah, they're not a, thought of in, as that's a the, thing in the real season at club level they're accepted as being as per usual yep but at international level they're all sort of tacked on separately yeah. Uh yeah, it's it's a curious one, that's for sure. I yeah, think it's because and... uh Phil Gould nailed it earlier when we mentioned that there was no real soul or passion about it, and because of that, people were not getting as emotionally invested in it after a little while. They're just like, Why can't we just play against the teams in the RL as well like we used to? Yeah, and uh, like people had just gotten sick of the BS that was going on in the game and weren't paying attention to it as much. And this was probably at this point in time, this is the absolute height of that. And then people start to re-engage later on as the season continues. Yeah. Um, also, on May 29, Super League announces it is definitely including a team from Melbourne for the following season. Mm-hmm. Um, the day after that, Victorian Premier Jeff Kennett cast doubt on their ability to set up a team in Melbourne. <laughs> what a genius he is. Um, they were going to be called the Mavericks. Yeah, they were going for the alliteration thing pretty hard. Yeah. Um, May 23, and this is the interesting part. This is where we start to see things change. And and I mean, you, you were just talking about it then. People are starting to get tired of the whole war. Mm-hmm. But the Sydney-based Super League clubs agree in principle to open merger talks with ARL clubs. So even they are seeing that there's no future in having two competitions anymore. Yeah, and that, like... 
you know, there were a lot of promises by Super League. And I think at this stage, the idea that one side or the other was going to drift away and die or come back, you know, cap in hand and say, can, you know, we please be a party competition, that was out. They were playing two competitions and they're all, everyone's losing money except for the charges. And they know that it's just not sustainable. That's right, yeah. Um, here, here's some good stuff for you. May 24, John Rebo denies his quiddish job as Super League chief to take over as the head of a new Melbourne Super League team. The next day, News Limited confirms that John Rebo has quit as Super League CEO to head up the Melbourne franchise. That's just... That's beautiful. That's beautiful. It, look, it's hard to... John Rebo, he... His place in the game was like severely damaged during Super League. And sometimes you think to yourself, like, was he hard done by? And then you see things like that and you're like, nah, he kind of made his own bed. He did a bit, yeah. Um, May 29, TV ratings for the opening Origin match indicate a considerable viewer preference for the ARL over Super League's tri series. Yeah. It's in the. There was a lot of talk about would the State of Origin series, the ARL State of Origin series, feel like Origin, and it did. And it's weird because it, it makes you wonder what what is it about State of Origin or, you know, any competition where you can take the same names of the teams, you can take the same colours, you can play it in the same sort of style, but it's not the same thing. And State of Origin has this magic and it retained that magic, luckily, for the ARL. Oh, yeah. Um, June 1, Balmain's fullback, Tim Brasher, tells the Sun-Herald he was ripped off by receiving an ARL loyalty payment of only $300,000. Yeah, I sometimes think about that, and I, I still feel upset for Tim Brasher, hey? I'm pretty sure he signed with South for a million dollars a year, and it was the richest contract signed in this whole thing oh really it was somewhere around that like that's a rumor going around but yeah it i'd was... say oh i would have thought the likes of fitler Langer. well see the thing is fitless though a lot of those test players had signed their deals prior to 97 yeah. and like the, the money was still going around then but the thing is like super league was trying to remain relevant and survive yeah and so they were literally throwing money at whoever was off contract to try and get them on. Mm. And so Brasher just happened to be in the right place at the right time, at the right part of his career, mm. to be able to demand whatever the fuck he wanted. And he went in there with just big nuts going, I want one million. And they went, is that all? <laughs> <laughs> and it worked out well for Souths. Exactly. Exactly. Because, um, uh, yeah, I think he got injured. South got the ass, and then he went to the Cowboys. Mm. And then he got injured, came back, played Origin, played brilliantly, and then got injured and, yeah. Went Didn't and he played. end up being a golf caddy? Yeah, he went over and played rugby union for, I'm thinking it was for Bath in England for a, yeah. half a season. Yeah. And then he became a pro golfer's caddy. Yeah. I can't remember the golfer's name. But it was one of the, I wouldn't say elite golfers, but he was on the pro tour. I feel like he ended up living in Canada for a he while. He did. Ran yeah. a bar in, in Canada for a few years. There we go. 
There you go, indeed. Um, oh, here we go. June 2, crowd violence raises its ugly head at a rugby league match when an estimated 2,000 people become involved in a riot at Belmore after a game between the Bulldogs and the Panthers. Two men are arrested, a policeman was injured, and a touch judge was threatened by a man who ran into the field. Wow. Can't believe it. I'm, I'm at a loss. Shocked. Um, the following day, a young police officer reveals he drew his revolver when confronted by a knife-wielding youth during the ride at Belmore. Whoa. I do not remember that. Well, knife. It's no axe, is it? True. <laughs> Um, June 4, Super League's um, marketing manager, Ian Robson, says that the competition would be reviewed, the, sorry, the World Club Challenge competition would be reviewed at the end of the year because it costs around $5 million to run. Yeah, now, the, the World Club Challenge was... We're about to get into that. Yeah. Okay, we'll wait. We'll wait until we get into it because there was, the Super League season was shorter. Yes. Because the World Club Challenge was part of their their jewel in the crown, just about. Yeah. And they got big sponsors on board for it. I think it was Visa. Visa, that was it. And they were gonna have the best of Europe versus the best of Australia and it was really hyped up. It was. And uh boy, it just it fell on their face hard. It really did. So it kicked off on June six, and we'll go. I'll go through the uh, round one results because they're not as lopsided. It got worse as the tournament went on. Mm. Um, Brisbane beat London forty-two to twenty-two. Uh, Auckland beat St Helens forty-two fourteen. The Cowboys beat Leeds forty-two twenty. Adelaide beat Salford fifty to eight. Canberra beat Halifax seventy to six. The Western Reds beat Castle for 24-16. Hunter beat Paris Saint-Germain 28-12. The Sharks beat Warrington 40-12. Penrith beat Bradford 20-16. Now, Bradford was pretty much the peak team at the time, I, I believe. And um, I, I they can't far off. quite remember, yeah. And, oh no, it might have been Wigan. So Wigan beat the Bulldogs. They were the only English team to win that first weekend. They beat the Bulldogs 22-18. Mm-hmm. Um, it would go on. You'd have teams regularly scoring 50s and 60s. Um, Brisbane racked up 70 against Halifax in round three. Um, Auckland scored 70 against St. Helens in round five. It was just nuts. There were still scores of 60s in the qualifying finals. Yeah, and the thing about this competition was I think it was a shock to most people how all of a sudden, because you think in 1995, Wigan is pretty much unquestionably the best club team in the world. And so there was a feeling that the English clubs were going to be, you know, hard to beat, especially the top clubs. And they, I mean, they just got decimated when they come over and played our teams. And it was a shock to the English. It was something that they didn't really come to terms with for, honestly about 20 years past this point that they really were that off the pace um that's the thing is the world club challenge up to this point which was just the game at the end of the year when the english premier played the australian one Mm. they were constantly won by the english teams more often than not yeah yeah um even you think of that great canberra side of 89 90 I think they struggled to beat, you know, the likes of Wigan, who I think they were coming up against. It might have been Witness in 89. 
and then Wigan the year after. The mm. Broncos only just beat that star started Broncos team only just beat Wigan. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were really tight contest, and I think in the English mind, they thought that's a sign that both competitions are equal. And then this came along, and they went, "Wow, we are so far behind the ball here." And from memory, they had to change the final system a little bit to ensure that there was actually English teams in the final series. Yeah, and they kind of anticipated that the final was going to be end up being one of the English teams or the European teams versus one of the Australasian teams. And it was really apparent early on that if they did that, you were going to see an Australian team slaughter a European team mm. in the final. And that the European team, like, how do they get there if they're actually losing all these games? And you could get a European team in the final that maybe hadn't only, they'd only been able to beat European teams. Like, it was, it just was an absolute disaster from the get go. And I think it's probably underestimated how bad that was for the Super League movement. And, you know, they, they lost money on it. It was on the field. It was a disaster. They realized that this idea of having, you know, all of this content that they could cross promote between the two different hemispheres. Well, that was out the window because you couldn't have Australia, Australasian teams playing European teams because you were showing floggings. So that was just one of the things that they couldn't use anymore. And as you say, they had to change the competition so that from memory, it was uh, the Hunter Mariners, I think it was in the final. Yeah. Yeah. Versus the Broncos. Oh, it was it was crazy. Just to look at the, the tables here for each of the groups. Mm. Um, when you look at the fact that the English teams that made it into the finals were Wigan, who had two wins and four losses, and they were the best-performing English side. Yeah. Um, London, who had one win and five losses. And then Bradford, who lost all six games. St. Helens lost all six games. And Paris Saint-Germain were the other team to go into a playoff, and they had one win and three losses. Mm. None of them won half their games, and yet the Australian teams that won more than half their games that didn't make the finals were the likes of Penrith, Canberra, Canterbury. I mean, Penrith and Penrith won all six games and didn't qualify. Yeah. Canberra won five and lost one. Canterbury won four, lost two. Uh, Adelaide and the Western Reds both won four games, lost two. The Cowboys had five wins and one loss. All those teams missed out on being involved in the finals, yet there were two teams from England that didn't even win a game and they got in. That's yeah, how farcical it was. It really was. And the thing about this moment in 1997 was people had started turn, people had started just getting sick of all the stuff going on. We talked about that earlier. And then the Tri-Nations happens and no one really cares. State of origin starts and people care. And then the Super League World Club Challenges happen and and nobody cares. Like no. it was just a non-event. But while this is happening in the Australian Rugby League season, there's different stories and things we're seeing happen that people are starting to engage with. And it's things like the rivalry between Manly and Newcastle, which has absolutely exploded. Um, 
the rivalry between Harrigan and Mark Carroll, yeah. which every single time they play, doesn't matter if it's city versus country, which is where it really started. Um, if it's for their club sides, like you've seen two guys that are basically going out to kill one another on a mm. football field. Um, there are different storylines that are happening in the Australian rugby league competition that are starting to draw people in. And that's happening as the Super League season sort of just... It's withering. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think the the final of the World Club Challenge drew 10,000 fans. Mm. It barely drew over 10,000 for the majority of the games. Most of the games were less than that. It was just struggling so hard. It was Um, one of the biggest disasters in terms of a rugby league competition, I think we've ever seen it. It'd probably be a final between that and the 2000 World Cup. And I would probably give it to the 2000 World Cup just because of how absolutely devastating that was to international rugby league for True, like yeah. nearly a decade. Um, on June 9, Optus boss, Ziggy Swakowski resigns and is replaced by Englishman Peter Hal Davies. No, it doesn't seem like much, but Optus was the the sponsor for the ARL. And so mm-hmm. any change there meant that there was a risk that they might go in a different direction when it comes to sponsorship money. Yeah. Um, on June 11, the Daily Telegraph chooses the day of the second state of origin game to renew speculation about a proposed merger between Manly and Norse. Funny about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's crazy. Rugby League Week's annual players poll again installs Bradfield as the number one player in the game. Um, so, I mean, that wasn't any surprise. No. A crowd of just 25,000 turn out to watch uh, New South Wales wrap up the State of Origin series with a 15-14 to 14 win over Queensland at the MCG. Yeah, now, it had only been a few years earlier that they'd got 95,000 to a, a State of Origin game at the MCG. Um, as I said earlier, it was pretty easy to get Origin tickets at this point. Um, it had been in 96 as well. And it's funny to think about, like, you know, 25,000 to an Origin game. Um, we worry when we get, you know, 48,950 <laughs> yeah, at an Origin game these days. Exactly. Um, in a, in a 49,000 seat stadium. But yeah, back then it, it, it really, but, and this is the thing the origin was still capturing people, but the crowds had fallen off that badly. Like rugby league was on the nose. Oh, big time. Um, the following day after that origin game, both the ARL and super league officials are unable to guarantee that they will establish a team in Melbourne in 1998. <laughs> After all the posturing, they've gone, yeah, a small crowd, and they've just gone, mm, maybe not. And it's funny because the exact same thing has happened with the NRL with the Perth. Yeah. Like they had the, the, the nines over in Perth in dire weather conditions. It was stinking hot. Yeah, horrible time to play it. Yeah, and they had small crowds there. And it was, you know, started on a Friday, I think it was, during the middle of the day when people were at work. Mm-hmm. And they've gone, oh, because we had a one small crowd there, we've just gone cold on having a Perth team back in the NRL. Yeah, rugby league officials have never had constitution. No, no. <laughs> uh, that was crazy. Um, 
Newcastle winger Darren Albert and North hooker Mark Soden suffer signs of hypothermia after another marathon stadium match is, dilu- is deluged by rain. The yeah, uh, smallest crowd in the night's history, 6,281 people watched the match played in 13-degree temperatures on a day in which almost 50 millimetres of rain fell in Newcastle. Yeah, like the crowd, that crowd at the Knights game says it all. And Knights Stadium, you got to remember, back then was terrible. Like, the, the, it, it was just a rotten stadium back then. Um, but, I like, I think they delayed the game because the rain was so bad at one point. Um, one game earlier in the year got um, got postponed because the weather was so severe. Yeah, which is uh, – can you imagine that? Like, it's, not many times that's happened in the game's history here. Maybe two, three times in the game's history in Australia. Yeah. Just hasn't happened. Um the Daily Telegraph claims that the World Club Challenge has turned into a $6 million nightmare. This is after one and a half weeks of the competition. Yeah. And for them to put that out about the competition, I mean, it says a lot. Like, it, it, they just couldn't hide it. That's right. Um, ARL Chief Neil Whitaker confirms he has been involved in talks between rival pay TV operators aimed at ending the Super League war. So now he's turning the tables back on them. Yeah. Because, you know, they it, it's just all about TV content. Anybody that says that Super League was about any big ideas or anything, they've bought into the marketing that was happening at the time. It was literally just about TV content, nothing else. Yes. Um, June 17, I'll see if you remember this one. The Super League judicial system cops big criticism when the when Gordon Tallis escapes with nothing more than a warning letter after a brutal attack on Wigan forward Terry O'Connor. I remember that. I was watching that game. Um, I think Terry O'Connor said that his missus hits him harder than that. Um, Tallis hit him with about 72 punches, and Terry O'Connor just looked at him the whole time. It, it was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, Optus says it will continue to honour its $120 million funding package to the RL, but does not draw up an official agreement. (laughs) That's always how you do business. That's right. You play it safe. Yeah. Um, June 18, Joe Lydon is uh, hired by the English Rugby League to conduct a commission into the playing standards of its clubs in response to the dominance of the Australian clubs in the World Club Challenge. I remember that. So I don't remember him doing that. Yeah. In the end, he came up with a whole heap of problems that the game had, mm-hmm. and they decided to pretend like it never happened. I would love to I would love to read his report and do oh, an yeah. episode about that. That would be really interesting. Um, June 19, Super League offer the ARL control of the game in a combined competition as long as Super League teams re- retain control of the finances. ARL clubs recommend that plans to establish a club in Melbourne in 98 be postponed for 12 months. Um, the following day, Super League says there is a prospect of ARL clubs switching allegiances at the end of the year if there was no compromise in the game. Uh, it's revealed that Super League intend to abandon its controversial jump and, jump and jersey numbering system in 1998 in response to months of protests from supporters. Because remember, this is when... Oh, yeah. Every every player is allowed to pick their own number, and Australian yeah, and, fans just did not like it. No, no, and 
I, I th- I'm pretty sure you agree with me. We don't like it in Super League, even no, stupid. over in England. Yeah, you earn your number in Australia and in New Zealand, and it's always been that way. And they brought in this idea that players would have their own number. So I think from memory, Anthony Mundine had number 23 at the Broncos. Um, most players just picked their their positional number. Yeah. But, y- yeah, it's, it's you get not the your number. player that had 50 on their back or something like that, or I'm sure there was some that had 69. Yeah, look, did I feel like, did Greg Alexander have a funny number? I think he did. I don't think he had seven. Yeah, and and it just yeah, it it it's not an Australian thing. We didn't no. like it. That's right. I wonder if um, Julian O'Neill had sixty six because <laughs> it rhymes with two shits. Um, <laughs> June twenty three, Perth Reds chairman Stephen Edwards says his club's position is safe despite mounting debts and the club's poor form. Um, he he's saying. We have had it on the highest authority that our position in either Super League or in a United competition and in Perth is secure next year. Um, yeah, that's a that's a bloke who'll buy ice from Eskimos. Yeah, poor bugger. <laughs> um, Brisbane football manager Chris Johns quits the club to take up the position as CEO of Super League's new Melbourne franchise. Yeah, and you can see they like they really wanted a Melbourne team. It was always on the agenda. Yeah. I mean, there'd been talks of a Melbourne team since the early 90s. Mm. But, yeah, the game was fighting its own little battles at the time and just kept getting pushed back. It was, it was a, you know, very low on the commitments list that they had at the time. Um, it's reported that the Bulldogs will lodge an application to build a $150 million sporting development at Liverpool's Woodward Park. I wonder how that went. Yeah, the Oasis. Uh, <laughs> they they used to somehow siphon money from the club or whatever else to impact on the salary cap or something. Yep, ended up being uh, investigated by the ICAC. That's right. Um, yeah, terrible. Like, and the 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 designs that they had for the stadium, it would have been like an indoor stadium. It was absolutely magnificent oh, what yeah. they had in mind, but. Uh, the execution left a lot to be desired. Yeah. It was a very odd thing in the end. Mm. Um, Super League warns the ARL that three more of its clubs are poised to defect unless a compromise is reached in time for 1998. Yeah, and you can see it's, it's, there's a lot of posturing going on. And the, the other thing you can see is the ARL is now in a much stronger position because yeah. Super League is losing so much money. The World Club Challenge has been a disaster. The Tri-Series, no one cared about. Their season is kind of petering out and is not getting any attention. While all that's happening, the ARL season is getting attention and there's a lot of interesting things going on. The crazy thing about this is that the ARL have shown already that they are looking towards merging the two competitions. Mm-hmm. You know, we've already seen Neil Wadika was talking to pay TV rights holders about ending the Super League war. Mm-hmm. So the Super League is sitting there threatening the ARL to do what the ARL is already doing. Otherwise, teams are going to leave and go on. Yeah. I was just about going, hang on, we're doing what you're asking us to do. Why are you issuing threats? And so the Super League is still using their old playbook not realising that they're looking at a new one now, which is we've got to stop fighting and start merging because we can't keep doing this crap anymore. 
and the funny thing is, like, even today in the media that we see in rugby league in Australia, they still read from the same playbook. Like, they never put the playbook away from the Super League war. That's right. They just kept out this whole attack mindset. Mm. Um, June 24, John Rebo formally announces his resignation as Super League boss in order to become the proprietor of the Melbourne franchise. And to me, when that happened, it felt like a pretty big sign that because he was the he was front and center for all of mm. Super League getting set up, you know he was the CEO and everything. And when he stepped down from that role to look towards a Melbourne club, it felt like that was a pretty big sign that Super League's future was not real bright. That's right. Yeah, I've, I remember feeling the same way. Mm. Yeah, you know, all this talk that Melbourne wasn't going to happen. Uh, you know, as having its own team was looking like a stronger, stronger possibility. And all this posturing by Super League looked like it was just all words and nothing else. Yeah. And like for, for all of the promises and marketing that they had done and, you know, oh, Laurie Daly is going to be a star in China and we're going to be playing games all over the world and stuff like that. And all of a sudden the guy that's running it can't even see out the first season. And it, it really showed things for, you know, the Super League really was a bit of a facade. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, June 26, the Roosters and the Bears resist the urge to merge by announcing their intention to continue as standalone ventures, whether the Super League and and ARL become united or not. Yeah, and, like, it needs to be said that at this point, everything was on the table, like all mergers, like, this club going with that club, were we going to end up with just four teams in Sydney? Were we going to end up with just one team in Brisbane? Was it going to be two teams in Brisbane? Were we going to have a Melbourne team? Everything was on the table. But it, it become pretty clear that there were some clubs that the game kind of needed to retain its fabric going forward and other clubs weren't in that position. And then there were other clubs that you kind of wished could have stuck around, but financially they knew they just couldn't compete anymore. Mm. Um, June 27, this is the big day. We're, I mean, we've already been talking about this happening, but um, it's been reported that the ARL will explore the possibility of forming a partnership with News Limited in order to share financial control of a merged competition. Uh, ARL Chief Neil Whitaker places a July 30 deadline on compromise talks to Super League. So he's giving just over one month. Yeah. And once again, shows the strength that the ARL had. Their position was pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, July 29, Mark Geyer claims Chris Quinn, the Adelaide player who accused him of eye-gouging, quote, in quotation marks this, is the man I most hate in the world. I'd be lying if I said I didn't want to kill the bloke. <laughs> How'd you feel if you were Chris Quinn? <laughs> I'd retire. You'd be saying, hmm, I kind of hope the Adelaide team doesn't work anymore. I'll just go, oh, my team left. I can't play anymore. <laughs> um, Super League boss Ian Frickberg confirms that the World Club Challenge format from 1997 will be scrapped in 1998. Yeah, he doesn't have to worry about that. <laughs> exactly. Um, North Sydney respond emphatically to thoughts of a merger with Manly by thrashing their Northside rivals 41-8, to 8, their biggest ever win over Manly. Yeah. Great, um, that's a great North Sydney team. Oh yeah, 
Mark Gaia, Mark, Mark Gaia, in his first match back from these ten months eye gouging suspension, he's placed on report, oh, and uh, two days later, cops a three week suspension. You can imagine that after seething for that long, he just oh. went out wanted to destroy worlds. He'd be so pissed. Yeah. Um, July 1, South Sydney President George Piggins indicates his club will consider legal action against Optus Vision if the communications carrier withdraws its funding of ARL clubs. I suppose that shows you the precarious position that the South Sydney team are in financially. Yeah. yeah. And the thing to remember, South at this point, they haven't been good for many, many years. Like, they're a bit of a joke. Absolutely. All right, moving on to July 2, and uh, the ARL Chief Executive Neil Whitaker said he's disappointed at a premature announcement by Super League that a ARL Super League initiative to impose a moratorium on player signings will end in August. Oh, well, I don't remember that because I'm surprised there was any moratorium. Maybe it was part of the negotiation tactics that they had where they were like, look, we can't negotiate this if we're also negotiating to take each other's players. So let's put a stop to that while yeah, we're talking about merging the comps. I think at this point, like we've we've heard that Ian Frickbird's come on board as has Neil Whitaker, and it appears that both men are more interested in peace than mm-hmm. they are in keeping the two different comps alive. Yeah. But neither wants to budge too much on what they've got. Yeah. That's an interesting little situation we see coming up here. Um, the next day... It's reported that the Bears have held secret negotiations to explore a move to the Central Coast, fearing that their only alternative in a joint competition is to merge with Manly. Wow, and that's, I mean, that's really interesting because they ended up having to merge with Manly and they did try and make that move to the Central Coast. And look, uh, when people probably don't remember this, but when they were getting that stadium built at Gosford, there was a lot of rain that stopped construction. Now, it's, it sounds silly, but it stopped construction for a long time. And it really delayed them being able to get into that stadium when they wanted to because it just wasn't ready to be yeah. opened yet. To and the a point lot of, they end up, I think to the point they end up having to play one season where they were just playing home games all over the place, like they were the West Tigers or something. Yeah, and that, look, that can never work for a team. No. I've seen that. Exactly. <laughs> so... Um, but yet, and so like, and for a long time after that, people were like, the reason Penrith were in the competition, because a lot of people felt like it was, they were the team that would be under threat if Norths had have been able to make a success with that move. And the thing was Penrith uh, were in the competition because it rained in Gosford. Isn't that fantastic? Mm. Rugby league's um, great. It is. Uh, Paramount Chief Dennis Fitzgerald confirms the club has held merger discussions with Balmain. Now, he's kind there because he says merger. They'll basically take over plans. Yeah, and they had a few different discussions. They had them with Penrith where I believe they just wanted to take over and just use the Panthers' name. And they, I guess they would have been called, you know, at, at best Western Sydney Panthers, at worst Parramatta Panthers. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they had merger talks with a lot of teams. Uh, July 6, reports that former Gold Coast and Canberra halfback Jason Gregory has received an out-of-court settlement of around a quarter of a million dollars for a tackle that ended his career five years earlier. I don't remember that one. No, nah, that's new to me too. Um, the Dragons also say that they will fight to the bitter end to avoid merging. 
Whoops. <laughs> take that one. Um, <laughs> July 7, the New Zealand Rugby League is preparing to sue former chairman Graham Carden for $1.35 million. Oh, wow. I wonder what for. I think at this stage, um, New Zealand desperately wanted to play tests against the best Australian side possible, and they couldn't do that while the Super League War was on. And so they were starting to, from memory, um, make plans to play against the Kangaroos, which yeah. is the ARL Australian team, yeah. and Super League weren't happy with it. Yeah. And I think it may have something to do with that. I guess a lot of their funding would come from those games. Well, not a lot of it, but enough of it that they had to do something about it. They couldn't go without it. Exactly. Um, on July 8, a report suggests that the Broncos face a financial loss of $1 million in 1997. That's, That's not much for them. Yeah. No, but it's true. It's not much for them because they were making so much money at this time. And, you know, their, one of their um, shareholders was actually News Limited. Yes. Who... You know, a million bucks, another million bucks isn't nothing. Uh, Bob Fulton calls for a united tour of New Zealand and England at the end of the season if a compromise is reached between the ARL and Super League. And that's in, that's interesting because at this time, Bob Fulton's the Australian cap, uh, the Australian coach still, yep. from memory, and his position was much more important than I feel like the Australian coach is now, and that's not saying anything poorly against Mal Meninga, who's the current Australian coach. But it just seemed as though back then the Australian coach almost oversaw the direction of the playing strength of the whole nation. Um, and it, it feels like it changed after he left. Yeah, I I think that's fair. Um, it was also important too, because for a long time, you had a manly, a former manly administrator, Ken Arthurson, running the game. Mm-hmm. and former Manly player in Bob Fulton as the Australian coach. Yeah, it was a fair power block there, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, not saying that there's any coincidence between those two appointments and Manly being successful in the 90s. No, and look, look, <laughs> when Bob Fulton was the Australian coach, Australia were absolutely outstanding. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's when they overtook Great Britain in that 1990 Kangaroos tour, which was an epic Epic Ashes series, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, July 9, South Sydney Juniors League Club threatens to withdraw its annual $3.5 million contribution to the sport if the Rabbitohs are treated badly in the peacemaking process. Now, I'm pretty sure the South Football Club relied almost entirely on that money. Yeah, the South Sydney Juniors, my understanding is that when the South Sydney Senior Club it always and it was always hitting financial hardship at this point. Um, they would come to the rescue to a certain extent. So this was a it was a real threat, and everyone knew that South had been a really poorly run club for a number of years now. They were an also ran. They were nothing like the South Sydney we see today. And so when people were talking about what clubs wouldn't make it through a merge competition. Sass were one of the first teams you talked about. Yeah. Um, also on this day, Ian Frickbird and uh, Neil Whitaker tentatively agree to an internal draft in the event of a United comp. Oh, that's interesting. I so didn't know much, that one. So that would basically mean that they both agree that all player contracts for their clubs 
um, would be broke. Well, not with the clubs, with the codes would be broken. So you couldn't just stay with the Super League if you signed a Super League contract. You can just be free to go to an ARL club. And I guess if they were trying to get, because the first thing they needed to do was get player costs under control after the Super League war. And they knew that, and what they did was they put a notional salary cap in place when the competition merged. So they knew that everyone wasn't going to be able to get under a hard cap. And so they put notional values on different players. And my guess is that if they were, they would have said, look, if we put a notional cap in place, it's going to be some teams that are going to have to shed players even then. And how will we deal with those players? And then I guess the internal draft come into, uh, into, you know, the discussion. Exactly. It would have, that's the thing. They were, they weren't going to try and keep teams under any cap. It was more about making them work towards a hard cap in the space of, two, three years' time, something like that. Yeah. yeah, that was the whole idea of it. Yeah. Um, on July 10, Gold Coast and the South Queensland Crushers agree to investigate opportunities for a merge. That's interesting. I didn't know that one. Um, it makes sense. I don't think it ended up happening in any capacity. No. Uh, so the, the charges went on until they were wound up with money yeah. in the bank, as we said earlier. That's right. Um, South Queensland will wound up without any money in the bank. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, July 11. It's been reported a police inquiry has been launched into the affairs of Paris Saint-Germain following allegations that their players, largely Australians, have been using six-month visas instead of work permits. The report says European Super League chief uh, Morris Lindsay is to be questioned by police over the affair. Do you remember this one? I don't remember that one. Um that's pretty serious, though. Mm. I don't remember that one. That's that's pretty crazy. I'm pretty sure we've seen that happen a few times with individuals, but not the uh, uh, you know for a whole club. Yeah. Um, Australia beat the rest of the world team twenty-eight to eight in a high-quality game at Suncorp. Rival coaches Bob Foot and Mal Riley agree that the rest of the world team would beat either of Super League's Great Britain or New Zealand teams. Now, do we have the lineup for that rest of the world team? Because I, I can't remember who was in that side. I'm, I'm going to say right off the top of my head, I don't agree with them. What do you mean? You don't, oh, that they would have beaten the Australian Super League team? Mm. Yeah. I mean, d- d- like... And this goes back to where there was lots of PR and stuff going on at this time. So it doesn't surprise me that they would say that. Okay. So here's the rest of the world team. Okay. Gary Connolly, Jason Robertson, Craig Innes, Phil Howlett, Marcus By, Tom O'Reilly, Adrian Lamb, Jason Lowry, Lee Jackson, Terry Hermanson, Darren Ramika, Jared McCracken, Andrew Tangatatoa, Craig Smith, Harvey Howard, Chris Nahi, and Willie McLean. Yeah, that wouldn't have beaten the Super League Australia team. It's a it's a pretty good side, but there's there's a good six or seven players there that probably let down the other quality players. Yeah. So I can't agree with them on that one. No. Um, and also, Dennis Fitzgerald, Parramatta boss, urges all Sydney-based clubs to investigate the possibility of joint ventures. Of course he did. Yeah. Just not it's his re- club. It's really weird how desperate Parramatta was 
for a merger or a joint venture or something like that when they really didn't need, really didn't need to at all, did they? No. Um, leading player manager George Mimis predicts that up to 20 league stars will jump ship to rugby union within the year. That didn't happen, did it? No, that, that didn't happen. But I guess it was, I guess as a player manager, he was starting to get inquiries from rugby union teams. Yeah, well, that's a, way of, that's a way of starting them, I guess. But yeah, true. <laughs> um, West Chief Executive Martin Bullock scotches talk of a possible merger with the Bulldogs. Oh, there you go. Wasn't the first time that happened. Yeah. Um, on July 14, the ARL produces a blueprint for a 16 team comp in 1998 and plans to reduce the number of teams to 14 in 1999. That's an interesting one. I know that. At one point, they wanted to just have 12 teams, which was pretty outrageous to go from 22 to 12. And I, But I think that they maybe used that as a way to force teams to merge because they said if you merged, you would get a, a lump sum of mm. money and you would also be guaranteed a place in the competition. That's right. Um. July 15, the president of the National Tax Accountants Association says that, that the tax office is gearing up to target more than 700 players in AFL, soccer, rugby league and rugby union. No wonder. <laughs> um, and yeah, as you said, like Super League formulate their own proposal for a United Comp in 98 with 12 teams, with just four of them based in Sydney. Yeah. because And the, the thing at this time is, even when Super League was starting to get going, very early on, there was an idea of you have a team in the north, south, east, and west of Sydney. And the reality was that wasn't going to work. And it, they never had any intention of really doing that. But, yeah, they they wanted fewer teams. and But I, I just think it was never on the cards. There were too many teams you would have to have got rid of. And I think that... You, at the end of the day, when you've got 22 players, even if you say, you know, a lot of those players in the 22 teams aren't real first-grade players, you've still got so many first-grade players that are running around now at this point. To get it down to 12, you're just leaving content on the table, basically. Yeah. Um, a four-man consortium, including former Kiwi coach Graham Lowe, table a $4 million bid to own the Auckland Warriors. I and don't. Re- I don't remember that one. No. Uh, Ian Frickberg says a Super Bowl style end of season game against the ARL Premiers is a must, regardless of the outcome of a compromise talk with the ARL. Now that's interesting. That's a bit of a carrot. I will. I think the reason why that was happening is because I mean, remember this is around the time that the World Club Challenge is taking place. Super yeah. League crowds are dying hard. Yeah, and the the World Club Challenge, which really they wanted to be their Super Bowl. They wanted the World Club Championship final to be the Super Bowl for them. And it's obvious at this point that it's not even going to be close to it. And no one really cares about that competition at this stage very early on. And so to be talking about, you know, a Super Bowl, and you've also got to remember the Broncos are clearly the best team in Super League. The Cronulla Sharks are pretty good. But it's it's the Broncos competition to lose. And across the divide, the Manly Sea Eagles look absolutely outstanding. 
this year. Yeah. So, and and many people felt like it was Manly and, and the Broncos were the two best teams in their competitions. Um, oh, here it is, July 17. It's reported the Super League crowds have plummeted 45% since the start of the World Club Challenge. Yeah, that's not a surprise. Um, another report says Super League players believe Parramatta, Sydney City and Manly will join their competition if compromise talks come to nothing. And the Auckland Rugby League rejects the $4 million bid to buy the Warriors. Which is interesting because they ended up selling it to a group that by the time it, I think it was 2000 rolls around, the Warriors yeah. basically ceased to exist. The Auckland Warriors as a company ceased to exist. And, yes, they know, became the New Zealand them. Warriors. Yeah. Um, the Sydney Morning Herald reports that a Super Bowl contest has been penciled in for October 25. Um, also, the ARL announced a formal renewal of its $120 million funding agreement with Optus until the year 2000. Raiders Chief Executive Kevin Neal reveals the club will consider a relocation from Bruce Stadium if it cannot negotiate a reduction in rent from the ACT government. And Canberra's been struggling with that even until recent times. Yeah, they have. And there's been talk that they will eventually get a new stadium down there. Um, they, If they could get an indoor stadium, it would be fantastic for um, sports fans in Canberra. But... Yeah, it's it's one of those things that even now they could use a new stadium. And the problem is that down in Canberra, it's a very different environment. And they the last thing they're thinking about is spending money on sports grounds. Yeah. Uh, July 19, the ARL extends its deadline in negotiations with, negotiations with Super League until early August. Uh, the following day, Ian Frickberg says Super League will not budge on the critical issue of control of the game unless the ARL can commit long-term finance to a dual funding proposal. We're starting to see how much the Super League is struggling for cash at this stage. Yeah, they've gone from being very bullish to starting to sound desperate. Yeah. Um, Neil Whitaker says the structure of the 1990 competition would have to be finalised by October 1 if the game was to regain the public's confidence. He's talking about having it um, a combined competition. Yeah, yeah. Here's another one. Former Bowman player Ian McCann wins an out-of-court settlement of more than $75,000 over injuries sustained in a tackle by Mario Fennec in 1992. Don't, I don't remember, remember that one. No, I don't remember that. Um, Neil Wadika urges Illawarra to explore merger options for involvement in a unified comp in 98. That's interesting because, you know, the Steelers, when you look back, they didn't have a very long history. It was long enough, but it wasn't very long. And their merger with the Dragons has been not too bad when you look at it. I mean, we get games down in Wollongong. Um, I feel like a lot of people feel as though, you know, if you say, picture yourself watching a Dragons game, where is it you think in Wollongong for a lot of people? Maybe not all Dragons fans. Um, so that's probably been the best of the mergers. But at this point, St. George is trying to stay as its own entity, but it's also had talks with the Sydney City Roosters, which is what the Sydney Roosters were called at this point. Mm. So everything, but everything's up in the air. You can tell by all of the merger talk, even the way the competitions are talking about merging together, everything's on the table. Nothing's being ruled out at the moment. 
Yeah, and you can tell too that everyone's realizing that this is not going to come down to any um, like romantic notions about how long clubs clubs have been around for. This is purely business now, and yeah, if our finance is not in check, we could get axed. Yeah, yeah, and especially you know, and that when the, one side starts talking about we want twelve teams, then that means ten teams are going to disappear. Um, you know, it was not a great time if you're one exactly. of the struggling clubs. And look, that well, most clubs were struggling at this point. Mm, exactly. The Super League war and the cost of wages going through the roof put a lot of them in a pretty bad spot. Yeah. Um, July 22, Super League decides to give a home ground advantage to the higher place team during their uh, final series. And that includes the grand final. Yeah, look, this was something that I thought was a really good move. Um, it's something we do in the NRL now. Uh, obviously, the grand final, is it's a little bit different in that regard. But, yeah, I, I, I like it. I've always liked it. I think that that should be part of your advantage. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got no drama with it. Uh, yeah, as so long as the grand final is at a set location, I think this, the the system they've got now works best. Yeah, so do I. And look, that's it's one of the things that they used to say Queenslanders didn't like, and it turned out they actually did like it when you talk to the players. Yeah. Uh, July 23, Ian Frickberg says a Melbourne side will not be included in any national competition unless it can prove to be self-supporting. Which is interesting because News Limited owned it. And supported yep. it. That's right. Uh, following day, Frickberg and Whitaker agree that the central problem of how a United competition could be run and financed is achievable with a single board of directors running the game in Australia. You don't say. <laughs> um, July 25, an agreement is reached to merge pay TV operators Australis and Foxtel, a move which would substantially weaken Optus's position in the pay TV marketplace. Yeah, now from memory, Australis, I believe was more of a pay TV provider for country areas. Now, was that Ozstar? Oh, yeah, maybe that was Ozstar. Oh, I mean, I was in the country. I remember having Ozstar, which was okay. basically just Foxtel. Astra- See, I thought I thought maybe it was Australis. I don't remember what Australis was. So because maybe, maybe it was the same company. Who knows? Maybe. But it's weird to think that there were, you know, more than, like there was a few companies you could go with. Mm. Kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, what do we got here? The Sunday Telegraph reveals that top secret merger talks have been held between St George and Cronulla, and they were instigated by St George. And I would have imagined that would have just been a takeover. It's hard to know because I think, I think around this time, both clubs weren't exactly doing well financially. Although the Sharks, the Sharks weren't up the. Uh, up the proverbial at that stage, like mm. they were, they were doing okay because they were successful on the field, and it was bringing a bit of coin in for for a change. Yeah, this was outside of the when they won the grand final. Obviously, this was probably the best point in the Sharks' history in mm. terms of they had a lot of great players. They were producing very good juniors. Um, they they started a trend where Saturday night football at Cronulla Football Stadium was really popular. It was a really interesting time for the Sharks. And they had some unbelievably talented uh, reserve grade and President's Cup teams. I mean, they were hard to beat for three or four years there. Yeah, they really were. Um, 
July 28, the Bears' plans to relocate to the Central Coast receive a setback when the move is opposed by the Central Coast Rugby League. <laughs> Probably should have talked with them first. Um, yeah, that is an issue. The next day, Canberra coach Mel Meninga and second row David Ferner are pictured in Sydney's Daily Telegraph wearing women's clothing during the fourth Ashes test at Headingley. London's Daily Mirror accuses a Canberra player of trying to steal Glenn McGrath's bat after the team was admitted to the Australian dressing room. Why would you steal Glenn McGrath's bat? (laughs) Well, he's not using it. Well, good point. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember that story at all. No, I don't either. That's nuts. Um, The ARL warns the English Rugby Football League it risks a massive damages bill if it continues to promote Australia's tests against Great Britain in late 1997, as much as involving the Kangaroos. They're talking about the Australian Super League team against Great Britain. Yeah, and that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, July 30, it's reported that the Perth Reds have sacked 20 senior players, fueling speculation that the club is to be swallowed up by the new Melbourne franchise. Wow. I don't remember that. That That's a pretty drastic um, situation there. Yeah. Uh, July 31, South Chairman George Piggins says any Super League club that wished to return to the ARL would be welcomed. And New Zealand Rugby League Chairman Gerald Ryan renews threats that the Kiwis may break ranks for Super League by playing a test against the ARL Australian team. Well, so they must have really needed that money. Yeah. Uh, August 1, Norm Proven attacks the ARL's decision to downgrade the Gildan and Shield from a premiership trophy to the reward for the competition's minor premiers. I see. I can understand why he would say that, but I think that looking back, it's been a really nice place for the Gilton and Shield to be, and a really nice reward. And I know when we won it for the Panthers, <clears throat> excuse me, in twenty twenty, when I saw the Panthers get that that Gilton and Shield, I teared up. It was very emotional to see them get that. And so I, I think that, you know, I, I really can't see his point of view, but I think it's been a nice place for the Shield to stay relevant within the modern game. Yeah, it kind of disappeared a little bit for a while there when we had the Winfield Cup. Yeah, because, I mean, the thing you would you would have would be the trophy itself. Yeah. More than anything, so, yeah. Um. August 3, the ARL stand firm in their opposition to the introduction of video referees during the final series, despite renewed calls from Phil Gould and Bob Fulton. That's right. Phil Gould was demanding we bring in video referees. (laughs) Demanding. Demanding. Requesting. Um, August 5, the Players' Union meet with the ARL to formulate a policy ensuring player managers obtain official accreditation. I don't think that happened for well over a decade. Yeah, it's that's an interesting one to come up because you know it's come up so early on in the whole piece here. Mm-hmm. You think surely a players' union would have been demanding player managers had official accreditation when these huge checks were being thrown around to start with. Mm-hmm. The the thing about the players' association at this point though is it had eroded so much up to this stage that it, because the Players Association almost had to do a reboot in the the early 2000s 
Um, and at this stage, the Players Association was an absolute shadow of what it used to be. That's right, yeah. Um, August 6th, the Sydney Morning Herald reveals Super League has failed to live up to the predictions it made available during the 1995 federal court case. Uh, same day, ARL Super League officials agree principle to a proposal for peace. Oh, wow, that's interesting that it was that early. Yeah. Uh, the next day, George Piggins warns the ARL it can afford cannot afford to turn us back on any establishment club if it wants total support for a peace deal with Super League. Yeah, I mean, look, Souths was so poorly run and, and Piggins was the man that was running them. And, I mean, you can obviously tell that he's gearing up for a fight. Yeah. And look, it was one of the most epic battles in, you know, Australian sports history when Souths were kicked out and then reinstated down the track. But you can see that he kind of knows they're one of the first clubs that's going to go. Yep. And the following day, the New South Wales Rugby League celebrated its 90th birthday. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, the City Morning Herald reveals the proposed United competition would be called Super League and its chief executive would be appointed by News Limited. <laughs> now, in the few short days after that happened, it's found out that pretty much everyone, players, fans, Everyone hates the idea of a merge competition being called Super League. Yeah. Shows you just how much Super League is on the nose now. Yeah, Super League is a – I mean, even now, if the NRL come out tomorrow and said, we we want a new name for Rugby League, we're calling it Super League, I think that the backlash would be so immense. And it like Super League – and I've, I've tried to explain this to English fans – the Super League name is poison in this part of the world. It is. It really is. No one wants to bar of it anymore. No, no. And it's funny because if you go, you know, back five years from this point, people would say, oh, we're going to, you know, we're looking at a Super League. You and me have talked about how there was talk about Super Leagues back in the 70s and even before that from time to time. But now the word Super League is just poison. No yeah. one wants it. No one wants to be part of that sort of thing. No. Um, on August 10, sorry, uh, video referee calls become pretty much deafening, you know, in, in regards to the demand that they get implemented. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ARL finds an unlikely ally in Super League referees boss. Do you remember who it was? Super League referees boss. Um, was it? I'll give you. A it hint. wasn't. It wasn't Graham Annesley, was it? Yeah, no, I didn't want it. it. Was Graham Annesley? There you go. He said it would be difficult to introduce the new technology in time for the final series. He was right about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, they only had a month. Yeah. A bit over a month. Um. August 12, reports of growing indications that ARL and Super League bosses could be prepared to accept a United 20-team comp in 1998. And North Queensland hooker Jason Deeth donates 10 grand to charity and avoids punishment from the Cowboys after he stripped in a Leeds hotel during the World Club Challenge. <laughs> that seems pretty, uh, pretty harsh. Is he 
Isn't he the uncle of Nathan Cleary? I don't know, is he? I think he might be. I'm glad they didn't have TikTok back then. Oh, yeah. Um, August 13, the country rugby league asked for financial compensation for affected parties before it considered supporting North Sydney's bid to relocate to the Central Coast. Which is very funny because Gosford is not the country by any stretch of the imagination. Nope. And and I'm just going to be honest, no one cares about country rugby league at this point. None of the people that are in power anyway. No, that's pretty clear too because there's been next to no money put towards it either and it's not much has changed. Yeah. Um, country club Aberdeen take legal action to stop the Group 21 grand final between Denman and Musselbrook because of a bitter dispute over player registration. I remember this one. <laughs> remember one. <laughs> um, the likelihood of a 20-team comp in 98 increases when Ian Frickberg says a transition period may be necessary in the interest of peace. Yeah, and, and it, it was needed. Um, August 15, Super League coaches and players vote to abandon a proposed Super Bowl contest. Oh, wow. I wonder why that was. I dare say they've had enough. Yeah, probably. Uh, August 18, peace talks between the ARL and Super League break down after Ian Frickberg says demands placed on the peace process by Optus were unacceptable. And um, the, I'm guessing the demands were we want to show games as well. Pretty much. Uh, four days later, Neil Whitaker says he would welcome inquiries from Super League clubs worried about their futures if rival comps continued in 98. The Brisbane Courier-Mail named Peter Sterling as the most complete halfback of the past 20 years. In 1997, I think they were probably right. It's hard to argue that one. Yeah. Like, I mean, who would it, who would be in that list? I guess... Alan Langer. Yeah, Ricky it would Stewart. just be... Yeah. Steve Mortimer. And he'd be a step down from all those three. Yeah, but they'd be... Uh... They'd be your main ones. I would guess that, I mean, Stewart's not having a good year this year. That would have affected him. Yeah, he, it, his injury problems are starting to kick in at this time. Yeah, so that recency bias. And look, Alan Langer has still got quite a bit of career left to, yeah. to have. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that at that point, and Alan, uh, Andrew Johns is still pretty young and has a lot left to do in his career to be become who we know him as today. So, yeah, I, I couldn't argue with that back then. He'd be in his fourth or fifth season at this stage? Yeah, about that, yeah. Hasn't won his grand, first grand final yet? No, that's right. So, yeah. Uh, August 24, Chris Anderson is uh, revealed as having interest in coaching the new Melbourne side. Don't you get the feeling that the Melbourne Storm – and they're not calling them the Storm or anything at this stage. But don't you get the feeling that that was well underway? Yeah. This is the funny thing is that the Super League and the ARL are both saying it's not going to happen. Mm. Yet all these moves have been put in place to mm. make it happen. Like Perth looks like it's being wound up. Mm -hmm. Now they've got a coach all of a sudden. The other thing is too, it's not like – at this stage, the very last thing people were calling for was a Melbourne team. Like, no one was calling for it. No. And, but, it, so for it to keep coming up, it, it's pretty clear that 
behind the scenes, Melbourne was probably already an entity. Yeah, I I think it already was. Um, the Gold Coast are reported to have turned their backs on the merger from South Queensland, announcing that it's their intention to stand alone in 1998. Yeah. Which pretty much just killed the crushes that did. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, the poor crushes. Uh, the Industrial Relations Commission brings down the first award that will guarantee ARL first grade players a minimum wage of $36,100 a season. It's not too bad for back then. Mm, that's very handy. Mm. Um, August 27th, it's reported that a fan has left South Sydney $200,000 in his will. I remember that one. <laughs> um, on the same day, Canberra signed Auckland Rugby Union Centre, Leslie Vanacolo. Wow, he would have been really young back then. Yeah. he And he ended up having a really interesting career. Um, pretty good for the Raiders, went over to Bradford, was an absolute monster in Super League. Like, dominated. Incredible. And then ended up playing... Uh, Rugby Union for the for the English Rugby Union Test team, as you do, yeah. <laughs> um, August twenty eighth, the Inside Sport magazine claims that fifteen Perth players were involved in the use of steroids from late nineteen ninety four to early nineteen ninety five. I think I remember reading that article. Uh, the debt ridden South Queensland crushes are effectively finished as a top grade entity after ARL officials opt to push ahead with the merger with the Gold Coast charges. Players are told their club will not be a part of any competition in 1998. Yeah. Uh, a stockbroking firm estimates the ARL Super League war has cost the Nine Network alone $20 million, most of it in lost advertising revenue. Which is not really much compared to how much everyone else is losing. Yeah. And also the other thing you would say about it is over the next probably conservatively 15 years, of being part of underfunding the game, they make that money up tenfold. Absolutely. Um, the South Queensland Chargers and the Gold, sorry, Crushers and the Gold Coast Chargers agree to become the first clubs to merge in the uh, 89-year history of the game. Oh, well, I didn't know they were the first to merge. I'm guessing that the Chargers basically said, you know, we'll take a couple of office staff and a couple of players. Yeah. That's pretty much it. It looks mm. like it was just a complete takeover. Mm. Um, August 30, the Sydney Morning, Morning Herald est, uh, speculates that Parramatta and Balmain will be the next clubs to merge. That well, went they well. Got, they got that wrong, yeah. Yeah. In August 31, the moratorium on player signings between Super League and ARL officially expires. So now we move on to September. It's a busy month of September. Yeah, a lot of things happen. <laughs> we'll go to September 3, where John Rebo says he is preparing for an 11-team Super League competition in 1998, with Melbourne making its debut and the Perth Reds remaining in place. This is the thing. John Rebo's been quiet this whole time since leaving. Yeah, and when exactly. he does pop his head up, he's yeah. just stirring shit up in the middle of peace talks. Nah, we're Super League's going ahead. Yeah, and, and it, it sounds... I mean, even now it sounds like what it was then. It's like a bit of a withering sort of go at trying to be relevant, really. Yeah. Now, he's 
here's a court decision that worked in the ARL's favour. Mm-hmm. Um, they won a Supreme Court case which said that John Cross and Jack Elsgood had to abide by the ARL loyalty contracts that they signed. And this strengthened the ARL's bargaining position against the fight with the Super League because the mm-hmm. Super League ones were deemed to be, I suppose, less binding. Yeah. And um, it's int- I'd love to know how much money was spent by everyone at that stage over Jack Ellsgood and John Cross. <laughs> exactly. That would be good to know. Yeah. Um, English League Chief Morris Lindsay has been asked to explain how he managed to spend $220,000 on personal expenses over the past two years. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and I would guess that his answer is, well, I'm Morris Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, Morris Lindsay. I think he is one of the most incredible administrators the game has ever had. And you can you can hate him, you can love him, you can disagree with what he did. That was a, a guy that made stuff happen. Yeah, he was a, he was a man of action. Mm. That's no, there's no doubt about, about that. Um, Chris Anderson officially quits the Bulldogs as coach to link with the Super League's new Melbourne franchise. And that was big at the time. Chris Anderson was a love son of yeah. the Bulldogs. So, yeah. September 5, the Gold Coast Chargers appear in their first ever finals match and cause a boil over when they beat Illawarra 25 to 14. Now, you were talking about this, that you were following the Chargers a little bit in when they made the finals because it was kind of history-making for them. Yeah, they, I mean, it's a completely new team in the finals. So, you know... Everyone gets on that bandwagon. Follow this new team and see. Let's see what they do. They lasted two weeks, <laughs> and that uh, Illawarra side was pretty damn good. That's right. And look, this is the year where the ARL had a top seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I made finished eighth. Mm-hmm. West finished ninth. <laughs> Just had to be said. Just had to be said. Um. Neil Whitaker reveals that Super League want the proposed new company that is to run the game in 98 to, to absorb Super League's debt for 1997. Wow, that's pretty that, ballsy. Isn't that kind? Yeah. So Super League want the ARL to absorb their debt, and they also want the ARL to name the competition Super League. Yeah. They're not too demanding, are they? Yeah. Um. The television replay of Super League's major semi-final between Brisbane and Cronulla is delayed because of coverage of the funeral of Diana, Princess of Wales. Ah, oh, that's an interesting one. Uh, the Roosters score a 33-21 to win over Norse in extra time in the second qualifying final in the ARL final series. Now, North Sydney, we've said before, they're a very good team. I, I, I considered them to be... Um, the team, Manly were the team to beat this year, it seemed like. The the Newcastle Knights had given it to them during the season and they'd had a, a couple of seasons leading up to it too where Manly and Newcastle had gone to war with each other. Um, but North Sydney seemed like they were ready to be premiers at this point. Uh, the Sydney Roosters had got some star plays from other clubs and... You know, the Roosters were not really what we think of them today. They were a bit of a – it it's funny to say it, considering they've got such a long history, but at this point they felt like a bit of an upstart team. That Quite, I got, mean, they, they'd struggled through the early 90s, but they yeah. were 
thanks to bringing in Phil Gould and Brad Fittler, mm-hmm. they and were at the very start of that rebuilding phase that they would work off the back of from from there till now. Yeah, yeah. And so they it felt like it wasn't their time. And so when they beat Norths, it's like, wow. Yeah, and, and, and Norths were in a premiership window for most of the 90s. Yeah, and the, I guess, you know, the other thing is when you think back on it, that Norths team ended up getting a reputation as a team that just, that almost a little, uh, choking is the wrong word for it, but they just couldn't get it done when it mattered, I guess. Yeah, and this was the start of that. They were underachievers. Yeah. Um, September 9, it's been reported that Ken Cowley, News Limited Supremo, has flown to England to investigate firsthand the crisis in the English game. Now, what would that crisis be? Well, I dare say the World Club Challenge. Yeah, it's got to be that. And maybe Morris Lindsay's quarter of a million dollar expenses. <laughs> I bet he ate so well. Oh, he probably did. He probably installed all those vending machines. <laughs> um, the RL Awards take place, and Illawarra's Scott Cram is named Rookie of the Year. Mm-hmm. Gold Coast Phil Economides is named Coach of the Year, and Brad Fittler is Player of the Year. Phil Economides really deserved that Coach of the Year that year. He was oh, great. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, awful lot of footy talk here. Mm-hmm. Des September ten, Des Hasler announces his retirement at the age of thirty six. Um, the Sydney Morning Herald reveals crowds for the first weekend of the finals, ARL and Super League combined, have slumped sixty three percent on nineteen ninety three figures. It's not a surprise. Super League Chief Executive Colin Sanders hits out at New South Wales Sports Minister Gabrielle Harrison for describing herself as an ARL fan. Oh wow. <laughs> Um, September 11, Tim Brasher fails to meet a deadline to sign a three-year $1.5 million contract offered by Balmain. We soon realise that <laughs> they've really underpaid him. Yeah. I, I wonder also if if he kind of was like, I wonder if they'll have this money. And speaking of money, News Corporation uh, annual report for 1997 reveals Super League's losses have topped. Do you want to have a guess how much you think their Super League losses topped for that year? $100 million. You're not even close. $237 million to the end of June. Yeah. ARL CEO Neil Whitaker says it would be impossible for a United competition to absorb Super League's debt. Yeah, it would. That It would still... It's a quarter of a billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And like it ends up being, I think all up by the end of it, the whole Super League war cost something like half a billion dollars. Um, And yeah, the idea that they wanted the merged entity to take that money on. And, And I guess when you think about it, when they decided that the merged competition, which ended up being the NRL, didn't take that debt on, they kind of got their money back anyway through underfunding the game. Yeah, exactly. They were always going to get their money back. Yeah, yeah. Um, September 12, 
Australian rugby union boss John O'Neill claims the troubles experienced by rugby league since 1995 may eventually lead to a unification of the rugby codes. It, it's interesting he brought that up because he was very bullish from this point on. Nobody was really talking about this sort of stuff um, until the Super League war started. And you've got to remember, rugby union went professional in 95. Yes. And, and that was pushed forward because rugby league was about to go through this massive change where all of this money was coming in. And so everyone was sort of kind of reading the writing on the wall. And But this was really the start of rugby, the Australian rugby union in particular, sort of saying, hey, we're here, we're going to be a player. You know, John O'Neill never took one step forward into the merging of any codes at no, all. No, and but, that's the thing. I think he was waiting for it to just fall over. Yeah. Um, and at the at same time, point, rugby union was, was going pretty solidly in Australia at the time too. I'm pretty sure Australia was, if they weren't number one in the world, they were pretty close and they held that position for nearly a decade around this period. And their super rugby competition that they had at the time it had been going for a few years now, and it had been one of the best things that they'd brought in in the whole history of Australian Rugby Union. Um, so that was going well. They're starting to make a bit of money. Their players are professional. And, you know, he started being bullish about his code. And, look, he was able to do it to a certain extent. And, in look, in 1997 there were questions about the future of rugby league because it had torn itself apart. Exactly. Um, September 14, Western Suburbs' decision to sack 19 players as well as reserve grade coach Jason Alchin is reported to, um, is reportedly going to affect the club's ability to recruit players for 1998. It would. Ah. Fuck <laughs> could go wrong. Um, the Sunday Telegraph claims that the Brisbane Broncos are under enormous pressure to retain their star players because of a belief among Super League officials that the Broncos are too strong for the good of the competition. That's a nice problem to have. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, an angry Gary Johns, father of Newcastle's Johns Brothers, confronts ARL boss Neil Whitaker, furious at a torpedo-style tackle by Manly's Nick Kosseth on Matthew Johns. I don't remember that. I'm guessing this is a cannonball type tackle. Sounds like it, doesn't it? Mm. Um, six days before the Super League Grand Final, Brisbane centre Anthony Mundine admits he is considering quitting the club at the end of the year. Yeah, and and this is this goes back a little bit to what we were talking about with how they were going to disperse talent. In a lot of cases talent kind of went back to where it had come from. And Mundane was a really good example of that. Yeah. He was a damn good footballer. Yeah. Um, September 16, Brisbane's Courier Mail reports that Queensland businessman Barry Moranta has sold his controlling interest in the London Broncos to Richard Branson. Excellent. Sitting Morning Herald reports that England's switch to a summer season has not resulted in new pay TV subscribers despite an outlay of more than £30 million. Yeah, uh, like the switch over was difficult for them. I think it was the right move. I don't think I've heard anybody say that they wish that that Super League was still played in winter. I think it's been a good move for English Rugby League. 
Yeah, it was a smart idea. Mm. Uh, September 17, Super League announced that their new Melbourne franchise is to be known as the Melbourne Storm. Never work. Can't ever happen. Nah, don't like the name. Who's going to go there? How are they going to get good players? <laughs> September 18, the ARL initiates legal action against the English Rugby Football League over income from the 1995 Centenary World Cup. Oh, they mustn't have paid that money to them, hey? Mmm, interesting. Mmm. <laughs> September 19, the Hunter Mariners have been forced to employ full-time security guards after vandals threw large rocks through the club's front doors and windows. <laughs> Just the most hated team that's ever been anywhere. Wow. That's crazy, isn't it? It really is. Um, Super League officials agree to cancel their proposed test between Australia and France in November. Hunter Mariners chairman Jeff McCloy resigns, and South Queensland coach Steve Bleakley is told his services are no longer required, minimising his chances of landing a position with the South Queensland Gold Coast merger. Yeah, and... And you can start to see that the culling has begun. Oh, yeah. Uh, September 20, the Broncos win the first and only ever Super League Grand Final, winning 26-8 over Cronulla in the rain at Brisbane's ANZ Stadium. Do you remember watching this game? I do. It was played at night time from memory too. Yeah, it was. And I went to a friend's house to go and watch this game. Um, did it feel like a grand final to you? No. Didn't to me either. Um, it very much was the kind of the event that it was. It it wasn't grand final. It didn't feel like a grand final. It just felt like the end of a tournament. You know what it probably felt the closest to was like a, the Challenge Cup final, something like that. Mm. But it, it wasn't the big game. No, it was a bigger game, I think people were a bit more relieved that the Super League season was over more than anything. Yeah. And it, it, you know, in terms of interest, I think that Super League, and we talked about it, was so on the nose. And look, I I lived in Sydney at this time. So, um, you know, a Brisbane team winning the grand final didn't, you know, it didn't really interest me that much. Um, The Super League season really lost a lot of interest very quickly and it, it just got worse from there. And a, as you say, it, it was once it was all done and dusted, it was like, you know, finally. Yeah. Uh, September 22. So we're now into the grand final week for the ARL. Mm-hmm. Newcastle halfback Andrew Johns undergoes surgery to repair a perforated lung. And there was that big headline, he could die. Yeah, that comes up uh, two days later. Um, Nathan Gibbs warns that Andrew Johns could risk death if he plays in the grand final with a punctured lung. <laughs> and uh, the, the thing to remember, too, in this grand final week, the Knights making the grand final is one of the special grand finals in the modern era in that a number of years earlier, Newcastle had had Uh, an earthquake, and it it devastated the city. And then they'd had uh, issues with industry there shutting down. And so it was a city that that really needed a rallying point, and it ended up being the rugby league team, the Newcastle Knights. 
And really, the I can only really line it up with when Penrith won in 1991 in terms of it being that special thing for a region. And it was really cool to see it, to see it all happening. Absolutely. Um, it turns out that Newcastle became the complete battleground for this whole Super League war. Mm-hmm. Um, September 23, the ARL announces it will form a new company to run the game in 1998 and invite Super League and its clubs to join the company. And the next day, it's reported that 12 players who were cut from Western Suburbs are taking legal action against the club, claiming unfair dismissal. No wonder. (laughs) Uh, South Queensland Crushers players are told their club's joint venture with the Gold Coast Chargers is not a foregone conclusion. Wow. At least they gave them some certainty, hey? Yeah. They they still don't know what the hell's going on at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, former Manly South and North first grader Wayne Chisholm is charged with 30 drug offences after being arrested during a major police operation on the Gold Coast. Wow, on the Gold not, Coast. Not the Gold Coast. <laughs> that that doesn't sound like a rugby league story. No, there'd be no drugs on the Gold Coast. Um, Andrew Johns is cleared by a cardiothoracic special, whatever that is. Thoracic. Thoracic. Mate, it's science. I don't know. It's a uh, specialist to play in the grand final. Oh. <laughs> of course he was. <laughs> He's not going to die anymore. Excellent. Uh, September 27, Ken Arthurson tells AAP, if ever merely have to get beat, then I hope it's Newcastle that do it. Wow. I, I never knew he said that. I think because he knew the importance of the Newcastle area. I mean... It was pretty clear that Newcastle was important because Super League went and put a team out there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and given that Brisbane went and won the Super League Premiership, it was a bit of a fizzer. But if you had Newcastle winning their first ever Premiership in their first ever Grand Final against a team that has dominated them and mainly had been dominating Newcastle at this stage, mm. um, that would be an absolutely great story. And the thing is, too, this, this ARL Final Series in stark contrast to the Super League one. It had a lot of stories throughout it. It was a really interesting final series. And by the time you got to Manly versus Newcastle, and you knew knew whatever happened, these two teams were going to belt the hell out of each other. They hated one another. Oh, yeah. And you could tell something was brewing. Absolutely. It just made for a great contest. Mm-hmm. September 28, the Sun Herald reports that News Limited is poised to agree on a two-conference, 20-team competition in 98 with regular crossovers, joint repsides, and an end-of-season Super Bowl. Now, this is on the same day that Newcastle performed one of Rugby League's greatest fairytale victories when Darren Albert scores a try inside the last 10 seconds to break a 16-all tie. The Knights win 22-16 over Manly, and they, they win their first ever premiership. And... I think they saved rugby league. They do. I think that I think that in that moment in front of a packed stadium at the Sydney Football Stadium, Manly were a truly great side in terms of where they stand like historically that was a great Manly team. Um the Knights 
had great players in their team, players that were loved by not only Knights fans, but people across the league um, to see them win the premiership. And I think it was a moment where rugby league fans and supporters and that you kind of watched that moment and were like, this is all worth saving. This the rugby league is worth it. It's worth getting it back. It's worth sticking around. It's worth, you know, supporting my team next year because it can produce moments like that moments that are everything exciting and beautiful. And, you know, there's not many sports can do that and rugby league can. And I, I just felt like in that moment, it was worth saving this game. And I think you'll see from this point on, from that premiership win by the Knights in 97, the tone of the Super League war changes. Yes, it's all it's all very straightforward. Um, it's almost like that was the straw that broke Super League's back. Yeah, yeah. At, at the very least, it at the very least it made all parties say, "Look, we've we have to fix this." Yep. Like we're all rugby league people here. We love the game. We've just seen something that was actually really, really special. Let's just make this happen. Uh, the very next day, Prime Minister John Howard says that Newcastle's triumph in the grand final is a marvellous tonic for an area that has been dogged by unemployment woes. Mm-hmm. Um, television ratings for the grand final reveal that the ARL grand final averaged one point, almost 1.05 million viewers in Sydney compared with an average of 461,000 for the AFL Grand Final. Yeah, that's not a shock. And it's interesting because at this time, AFL's really pushing hard to get into Sydney, as, you know, they should have. Rugby League is tearing itself apart. Um, AFL was giving away tickets themselves at this point, just trying to get people interested. And it worked to a certain extent. It did. Uh, October 1... Ian Frickberg says his company is ready to give the ARL a guarantee that a United competition would not be held liable for the $300 million setup cost for Super League. Isn't that nice of him? The Daily Telegraph reports that Robbie Ross is set to become the Melbourne Storm's first ever signing. I didn't know it was him. He was a very good player. He was very good. Um, Super League officially announced that the Perth Reds will be disbanded because of its mounting debts. Yeah, and this is something that uh, a lot of people don't understand is that they'll talk about, well, a Perth team failed before. It's not so much that it failed. At this point, the Adelaide Rams are just shut down. The Perth Reds are just shut down. And, you know, that, that that's just how it was. It wasn't so much that they failed it was just about compromise in getting the competitions back together. And because these teams were owned by News Limited, it was just really easy for them to do. Yeah. Uh, October 2, Super League players Anthony Mundine, Phil Adamson and Carl McNamara are directed to return to ARL clubs by the New South Wales Industrial Court, although the ARL contracts of Steve Carter, Robbie Beckett, Danny Farrer and Rod Silver are set aside. Oh, wow, that sounds pretty complicated, yeah. Mm. Um, October 3, Auckland thumped Bradford 62-14 in a quarterfinal of the World Club Challenge. In England, the Hunter Mariners beat Wigan 22-18. And and no one cares about these games. 
No. No one. <laughs> um, October 4, Steve Reynolds scores five tries as Brisbane beat St. Helens 66-12. to 12. And October 5, Cronulla flogs the London Broncos 4-16. So we're getting to the semi-finals now of the World Club Challenge, and it's all Australian teams. Yeah, yeah. Uh, October seven, Rupert Murdoch and his son Lachlan expressed confidence that there would be just one competition in Australia in 1998. And they didn't speak very often about nope, the Super you never League saw them. Yeah, so when they said something, it was it, you took notice of it. I think at this point, Rupert Murdoch has probably ordered that Super League be wound up because how much it's costing him. Yeah, yeah. And he probably also knows at this stage too that with emerged competition, they're going to basically get what they wanted, which was content on his pay TV, um, Foxtel um, in Australia. That's all this was all about. So he knew he'd got the content now. And from there, he knew he just had to play the long game. Yeah. Uh, October 10, Brisbane advanced to the final of the World Club Challenge with a 22-16 win over Auckland. October 11, the Sydney Morning Herald reports that South have released 30 players but signed Roosters front row Terry Hermanson. Wow. How big is his contract? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, you think about people say, oh, contracts mean nothing. Yeah. How about that? 30 players. For one. Uh, the Hunter Mariners advanced to the World Club Challenge final with a 22-18 to 18 win over Cronulla. Yeah, and that was a bit of an upset. And Massive the Hunter Mariners, one. this is the Hunter Mariners' big moment, and Newcastle could not have cared less. Newcastle is probably still partying from the ARL Grand yeah. Final. At this Newcastle's stage. still drunk at this stage. Yeah. Um, October 12th. It's being reported that 250 players face being sacked as 20 clubs prepare to operate on a $4 million salary cap in a unified comp. English chairman Morris Lindsay accuses British players of not putting their bodies on the line when it mattered in Super League's World Club Challenge. In a lengthy article in the Sunday Telegraph, Lindsay attempts to justify the $200,000 expense bill he ran up over two years. I wonder how he did that. Well, he's already talked it down from 220 to 200. <laughs> 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 you might just take a zero off later. Oh, I was only 20 grand. Yeah. <laughs> um, October 15, it's been reported that Norse have all but deferred the club's proposed relocation to Central Coast until 1999 after being a shorter place in the 20-team comp. Wow. Uh yeah, October 16, the ARL announced tough new penalties for drug users. Now, this came about a month and a half after it was reported that two players had tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs and they didn't receive anything more than a warning. Yeah, and we talked about this earlier. Um, you, you know, it was bad PR if a player tested positive for drugs and then you'd have to ban them for a certain amount of time and that hurt your playing strength and everyone was trying to be as strong as they possibly could. And when I say everyone, I mean the a the ARL competition and the Super League competition. And so this is basically the ARL saying, okay, we're back into what we used to do now. Yeah. Um, the Gold Coast City Council confirms it has been negotiating with Super League over the relocation of the Hunter Mariners. 
Oh, I never knew about that one. Yeah. Uh, October 17, Brisbane win $1 million in prize money after thrashing Hunter Mariners 36-12 in the World Club Challenge final. Well, it's good that they didn't have to worry about money, the Brisbane Broncos, at this That's point. Right. On the same day, speaking of millions, Penrith youngster Craig Gower signs a four-year contract with the Panthers worth approximately $1.8 million. Wow, that was a good contract for then. Yeah. Uh, October 18, the Sunday Telegraph reports that the Sydney Rugby Union Club Randwick have entered merger talks with South Sydney Rabbitohs. I didn't know that. I wonder how that would have worked. Mm. Wow. Uh, October 20, Ricky Stewart is replaced as Canberra captain by Laurie Daly. Stewart claims the feud with Kevin Neal, the greatest boss, is behind the decision and threatens to leave the club. Yeah, and he ends up leaving the club, going to Canterbury. Um, Canberra really fell apart as a force in rugby league during this whole saga. Yeah. Uh, October 22, an ACT magistrate acquits Canberra winger Nona Druku of two charges of assault because he was, in quotation marks, too drunk to form an intent. In an 11-hour drinking binge, he allegedly drank 14 schooners, six stories of beer and half a bottle of wine before assaulting two women outside a Canberra nightclub. And, but it's okay because he was too drunk. Holy crap. Yeah. I'm glad apparently, things have changed. Apparently the decision to acquit him sparks national outrage. Yeah, no wonder. That's terrible. Um, the next day he was sacked by the Canberra Raiders. Mm-hmm. Sun Herald reports that peace talks between the Arrow and Super League have taken a turn for the worse and Lachlan Murdoch tells Super League clubs to prepare for two comps again in 1998. My guess is if that's true, if that's not just a negotiating tactic through the media, when Super League clubs heard that, they were probably horrified. Yeah, they would have been because they were right now, I mean, we've been hearing for the last month now that they've been gearing up for a unified comp. Mm -hmm. Um. October 29, the Melbourne Storm confirmed the signing of Broncos front row, Glenn Lazarus. He was, and that was a really good first, well, initial signing in that initial group. Um, He'd been a winner everywhere. He had a great standing in the game. Um, I think he was, he probably wasn't the best front rower in the game at that stage anymore, but he was still a very, very good front rower. Oh, yeah, like he's, he, his form tapered ever so slowly mm. in the tail end of his career. And he was um, a great leader for that club too, early yes, on. Yes, he certainly was. Um, October 30, the Sydney Morning Herald reports that Rugby League recorded the highest number of positive drug tests, 13 all up, among the 47 sports screened by SADA during the past year. Yeah, that's not a surprise. October 31, the merger between South Queensland and the Chargers is officially off for the Chargers to continue in their own right. There you go. <laughs> um, November 1, the Australian Super League side downgrade Britain 38-14 in the first test at Wembley, and no one was shocked by the scoreline. Yeah. Um, November 2, there's reports that the Australian Super League players have been forced to take a pay cut because of belt tightening at Super League. <laughs> I bet they were really happy to learn about that, hey? Yeah, overseas and now they're not getting all their money. 
I guess this is the, you know what, that would have been the first time, apart from the players that have been sacked, but that this would be the first time the elite players were starting to hear figures that were less. Yeah, that's right. They're starting to get impacted now. Yeah. Um, Super League boss Ian Frickberg reportedly has stepped in to settle a long-running dispute between Ricky Stewart and the Canberra Raiders. That didn't work uh, out. <laughs> no. November 4, Paris Saint-Germain are dumped from the Super League for 12 months because of poor performance on the field. Jeez, I hope they don't apply that too often. <laughs> <laughs> um, number six, police discover the body of former international Peter Jackson in a motel room at Engadine in Sydney. Um, he was suffering from um, manic depression and he was just 33 years old when he died of an apparent drug overdose. Yeah, I remember this. This was very, very sad. Um, he was one of those personality players. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, th- it was – that was one of the deaths that really shook rugby league, I felt. Yeah, because, I mean, every time you saw him in public, he was this bright, sparkly, funny, happy, sort of lovely sort of bloke. Mm. Um, and then to know that he was he was suffering – Badly with, you know, his own mental demons and stuff like that. Um, it came as quite a surprise. And the fact that he, he killed himself at such a young age, mm. uh, yeah, shocked everyone. And uh, you know what? I, when I think back, it was probably one of the first times where you heard people in rugby league, um, in former players and, and things like that, talking about uh, players' mental health. I can't remember it before that. No, I can't either. And look, this is, for me, this is the first, um, you know, death of a player in rugby league to have shaken the game up since the, you know, the sudden death of Ben Alexander in 1992. Yeah. Um, Both because they're so tragic and they were both such well-loved and, you know, highly respected players and Mm -hmm. people, obviously. Yeah. Um, See, that was a a very, uh, very dark day, that one. Uh, November 8, Great Britain squared the Test Series with a 20-12 to 12 win over Australia, uh, over Australia at Old Trafford. Yeah, and English rugby league fans, it's funny because Australian fans hardly know about this series for the most part. Uh, English rugby league fans really know a lot about this series. Like, they, they will talk about it quite a, a bit when you're talking about the history of contests in recent memory between the two nations. Um, it's it's funny that contrast between how the two countries in general look at this test series. Yes. Um, Bowman threatened to sue Lock Glenn Morrison after he allegedly walked out on the club mid-contract and signed another contract with North Sydney, meaning that he actually was contracted to two clubs at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, he's not a pioneer there, is he? No. Uh, November 10, Newcastle lock Mark Glanville escapes conviction for assaulting a woman at a hotel as a magistrate finds that she was a, in quotation marks, pest. Oh, my goodness. What was going on with the judicial system? I don't know. That's not even rugby league's fault, that one. This This is the actual, you know... Magistrates in in yeah. the high courses up. That's crazy. That really is, isn't it? Um, November twelve, 
Morris Lindsay offers to stand down if he'll help bring about peace in the conflict between ARL and Super League. I don't know why he would say that. I don't think that either side would have cared where he was. He was sort of controlling what was going to happen over there in Europe. Yeah. Um, maybe he had to be the fall guy for the way England had been performing. Who knows? Yeah, possibly, possibly, yeah. Uh, November 14, Laurie Daly tells the Sydney Winning Herald he regrets some of the things he said during the Super League War. He says, it was a bad thing what happened, and I can only hope it never happens again. Yeah, no, look, a lot of people said things they regretted during this time, and we've talked about it. Friendships were lost. Um, people never talked to one another again. Um, I think that it's finally not part of the game. There, there's no hangover from it anymore for the most part. But I think even if you go back 10 years, there was still hangover from the Super League war because oh, of things people said and yeah. did. Um. Morris Lindsay calls for an end to extended international tours. He says, I think we should restructure what was an old-fashioned system. That's really interesting because I agree with him. I think that tours are a thing of the past. I know you, you're, you've you got a different opinion on this, but well, I just I just think that they're a thing of the past. We, I would rather see one-off tests. Uh, you know, I don't mind a three-test series if it's, you know, for, for a special occasion, but I'd rather see a bunch of one-off tests. I think tours have a purpose, but you don't need to be having Australia playing Wigan and St. Helens and Carlsford and Cumbria and all sort of stuff. Mm. You just have tours where you play against other international sides. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what needs to happen because then you've just got the best teams playing one another and hopefully that can be used as a promotional tool to try and get people watching the game and get some money in through the gates and stuff like that in countries where they need it. Yeah, true. And, and you know, I guess the thing about him saying this, kangaroo tours used to be very much intertwined with the fabric of all of the rugby league. And when you look back through the history of rugby league, it was even the, the club season was just gearing towards the kangaroo tour at the end of the year. And we never saw another kangaroo tour, you know, after 94. So, and this, I guess, is the first sign that we will never see that on, on you know, in the near future. We still haven't seen it since, a no. real kangaroo tour. Uh, November 16, the NBL announced that a consortium headed by the Canterbury Leagues Club has won Sydney's second NBL franchise. Yeah, and that would have been, uh, the, I guess, the West Sydney Razorbacks. They were around for a little while. They were very successful for a, a short period of time, but ended up going bust themselves. And, um, you know, the NBL ended up going through some really rough times as a sporting competition. They're only really just coming out of that now. Yeah, and very spectacularly too are they coming out. They made a lot of really good decisions yeah, and tough decisions too. Like they contracted their their competition heavily. Um, you know, they the basketball in Australia actually just after the Super League war really hits a high point where you can watch an NBL game on free to air TV in prime time, um, and then falls away spectacularly through mismanagement. Um, being able to watch NBA NBA content much easier hurt them, and 
yeah, they the NBL basketball in Australia really went to a brink, and they've thankfully turned that around. Yep. Uh, November 16, Australia wins the Super League series over Great Britain with a 37-20 test win at Elland Road in the final test. I wonder if they had, if Great Britain had won that series, they would claim that. Of course they would. Yeah. Uh, November 21, the day my heart broke, Tim Brasher signed a two-year deal with South Sydney. Yeah, what were your thoughts on that when it happened? I was pissed. Yeah. I wasn't sad. I was pissed off. Now, were you pissed off at him or or the club? The club. Okay. Not him. He's doing what what he's got to do to pay his bills and, you know, it's his job. Yeah. But, you know, it's always the club's fault. But the club always blame the player. Yeah. Uh, November 22, Bob Fulton offers to stand down as national coach will help hasten a compromise deal between the AL and Super League. And that's very big. That was a big move. So... if there's um, aren't people being sacked left, right, and centre, there's people offering to stand down as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, November 24, compromise talks continue between Neil Whitaker and Ian Frickberg. Yeah, and uh, it was clear. It was clear at this stage there was not going to be two competitions. No, they they're doing everything they can right now to hasten this process as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Um. November 25, the ARL announced a policy of naming players who test positive to performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah, and that was a good move. It was. November 26, the Storm announced the signing of Tesla to Wira Nikau. Yeah, and he, I don't think he was that well-known at that time. Well, he'd been he Cronulla, been... hadn't he? Yeah, he had. And he then he went over player. to England. Oh, but fantastic he, player. He he ended up being like a real a foundation yeah, you know, he was obviously a foundation member of the Storm, but his leadership was absolutely incredible Incredible for that club. And, I, man, the the game he played in that grand final in 99, it's one of the best grand finals I've ever seen a player play. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable player. Um, I think he's had an absolute horrible story off the field, but just keeps on going anyway. Yeah, he's unbelievable a, he, human. He really is. He uh, he lost a leg in, I believe, a motorcycle accident. Yep. Um, didn't stop him. Passed away. Yep. Yep. It, it didn't stop him from being an athlete. I believe he he competed in. I don't know if it was um disabled rugby league competition, but he he continued playing sport in some capacity. Um, uh, one of those people that like. He's a really interesting dude, you know. One of those, a really inspirational person as well. Definitely, definitely. Uh, November twenty eighth, the federal government decides that Premier Rugby League games will be seen on free to air TV in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, and that's part of the um, anti siphoning rules. Correct, and this is also going a long way now to ending this pay TV war because now Nine and Foxtel or almost got to the point where Foxtel are going to be able to show NRL games mm-hmm. and Channel 9 is going to get them as well anyway. So both of those sides are happy. Yeah, because there was, there, was, there was a little bit con- of concern that Rugby League would go fully onto pay TV. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's not uh, – that the government basically come out and said, no, we're not going to allow that to happen. Uh, November 30, 
The Sunday press reveals that the IRL World Sevens competition has become a victim of the Super League war. Mm-hmm. It's been canned. Also, Brett Mullins has been reprimanded by Super League boss Colin Sanders after an alleged hotel brawl in England during the Test Series. Oh, wow. I don't remember that, hey? <laughs> That'd be an interesting one. Uh, December 2 reports that a peace settlement in the Aral Super League war is expected within a week. Now, just as a side note to this, it's about this time I start making my first rugby league website. And I I know that I'm going to be looking at a single rugby league competition to be covering. I don't know what it's going to be called yet, but there'd been rumours about the name of it. But yeah, I, and I was gearing up to start my first rugby league website uh, when the new competition started. Yeah, I must admit, I was, I heard that and thought, mm, been hearing this for a few months now. I, I can't see it happen this year. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I was pessimistic as hell about that. I didn't. I thought it would be too complicated again in '98. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, the London Times reveals that only two Super League clubs in England have been found to be profitable during the 1998 season. That's a, uh, a survey conducted by a county firm, KPMG. Wow. When was the last time that a London publication would have <laughs> thought about the financial situation of Super League? Exactly. Um North Sydney Leagues Club members vote to proceed with plans to amalgamate with the Seagulls Leagues Club at Tweed Heads. See, everyone thought that North Sydney merging with Gold Coast was a new thing. Remember that coming out, was it last year or the year before? Yeah, yeah. They they talked about possibly buying the licence for the Gold Coast team, um, the Gold Coast Titans. But, yeah, Yeah. it's just a revisit. Playing the long game. Mm. (laughs) Hmm. December 5, Newcastle Chairman Michael Hill replaces North Sydney's Ray Beattie on the New South Wales Rugby League board. The New South Wales Rugby League announced a loss of $4.5 million for the year. That's not too bad, really. Um, Almost a week after it was reported that a peace deal will be met between uh, the RL and Super League, they then announced that it'll happen next week. I wonder what delay was. This is what was happening. I was sitting there going, yeah, it'll be next week. It'll be next, it'll be next week for the next year. <laughs> um, December 8, the Telegraph says that clubs will be offered large financial incentives to merge to create a single 14-team comp in 1999. Yeah, they, they, really, they really wanted a lot of clubs to merge. I think they wanted way more clubs to merge than ended up merging. Yeah. Um, and they did. They gave financial incentives they gave uh, guarantees that they'd be part of the competition for a certain number of years and things like that. Yep. It was um, pretty big incentives too. Oh, they, um, were, they were really good. There was there was also, I'm pretty sure I have to check it out, but I'm pretty sure there was also incentives if teams wanted to relocate to areas outside of Sydney. Yeah, there was, yeah. Which is why Norse were looking at moving to Central Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of... of North Sydney members approve a move for the Bears to relocate to the Central Coast by 1999. Now, back then it was a a move that I think most people thought was good, especially, I mean, obviously North Sydney supporters did. 
if you looked at it now, for the for a team based in Sydney and for a team based in North Sydney in particular, to move to a much smaller area with no corporate base, would that have been a good move? I don't think you'd make that move now. The only reason why you'd make it is for the initial cash injection that you got from the club, from the well, what would be the NRL, mm. and was it a five year license that they offered at the time? I think it was a five year, yeah. Yeah, so that's what they would have got out of it: security for five years and a big chunk of cash. So yeah. you get five years to try and turn that into something useful. And and like that stadium, it's hard to, um, you know, that stadium was really important to them. Yeah. At, for, for, at the time, it was a really good rugby league stadium as well. Now you look at it and it's very, very basic. It's too small. Um, but, yeah, at the time it was like, wow, they're building this big, nice stadium. Um, so, yeah, it's a, just a shame it all fell apart for them, really. Yeah. Um, four days after the New South Wales Rugby League announced their loss of $4.5 million, the ARL announces that they had a loss of $2.8 million for the year. That sounds like absolute BS. Yeah, so between the two, that's $7.3, yeah, $7.3 million they lost between the two of them. That's just for 1997. Do you reckon, what do you reckon? It, it's got to have been many tens of millions, I think, in reality. It's odd that the ARL slash New South Wales Rugby League could lose. $7.3 million, and Super League is a quarter of a billion. Yes. Like, I'm not saying that the ARL, New South Wales Rugby League, would have been close to Super League, but I would have thought it would have been higher than this. Yeah, much, much higher. Yeah. Um, December 10, the New South Wales Rugby League seek legal advice to overturn the ARL board elections after their attempt to oust chairman John McDonald failed. Uh, so the day before, McDonald was re-elected as chairman at the league's AGM after retiring member Tom Bellew essentially crossed the floor to vote for the Queenslander. Isn't, um, it, isn't it interesting, like, while all of this is going on, while the game's tearing itself apart, we don't know what competitions we're going to have, we don't know what clubs are going to be around just in a couple of months from now, and in some cases a couple of weeks from now, You've got people playing politics, yeah, at the New South Wales rugby league level. It's rugby league is great like that. It certainly is. Um, the next day, Olympics Minister Michael Knight announces a twenty million dollar upgrade to Campbelltown Sports Ground. The work I is due to begin at the end of nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, I remember that, and I remember the first game they played there, watching it on TV, and I remember. Um, Warren Smith saying, wow, $20 million doesn't buy you much. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> um, further, there's further splits in the ARL board when New South Wales Country Rugby League General Manager David Barnhill is replaced by Nick Politis. Yeah, and the ARL board, it went from a really powerful entity to very quickly becoming a real shadow of itself and almost becoming non-existent by the end of its life. Um, it, it, it was pretty dramatic how quickly it, it fell out of being the most powerful 
organization in the game in Australia. Yep. Um, December 14, reports emerged that several top-line Parramatta players have been involved in an ugly brawl in a Parramatta hotel. I don't remember that one. Uh, same day, Brett Mullins reveals he's agreed to undergo an alcohol awareness program. And Brad Fittler is omitted out of Open Rugby's World 13. Let's look this up. What? Who was Open Rugby... World 13, 1997. Let's see if it comes up complete history. No, I can't find it. No, they're probably embarrassed and they deleted it. Yeah, that's that's outrageous. Who could it be is. possibly be Laurie Daly, I guess, at 5'8", but then you'd have to put Fittler at lock. It'd be some English player. Probably. Um, December 19. A day with a whole heap of very important meetings in the history of rugby league in Australia take place at the Sydney Football Stadium. It's essentially the end of the Super League war. Uh, it spanned almost a thousand days, and it came after a 40-man New South Wales Rugby League general committee voted 36 to 4 in favour of a peace deal. Um, the terms of the deal result in plans for a 20-team comp in 1998, a 16-team comp in 1999, and a 14-team comp in 2000. The deal is contingent on a further $16.5 million in funding for the 11 ARL clubs. Yeah, and I remember this day, and it really did feel like a seismic shift for the game, Um, getting everyone in the one place, you know, meeting at the SFS. It it was almost like neutral ground to a certain extent. And, yeah, they, they thrashed it out. Yep. Uh, two days later, George Piggins says the RL has caved into Rupert Murdoch by paying too high a, piece, a price for peace. Um, player manager Sam Ayub says a $3 million salary cap plan for 1998 is way too low. The RL rule, Glenn Morrison must return to Balmain after his contract dispute with Balmain and Norse. Looks like the case... Uh, Ended up going to the courts, and I believe he got out of the Bowman deal. Yeah. Uh, December 22, South Sydney manager Frank Cookson suggests the compromise between ARL and Super League involve a 12-team competition after 2000. Yeah, and I, I feel like that was just, that was put out there. I think that that continually was put out there that, yeah, they want to cut it down to 14, but they really want 12. And I think it was just to push mergers. Yeah. Uh, push mergers, and then they can look at expansion, I guess, to make up any extra numbers they wanted to have. Yeah. Uh, December 24, the ARL secures the final funding of $16.5 million from Optus and Channel 9 to enable its 11 teams to enter the national competition on an equal financial footing with the nine Super League clubs. Oh, that's good. Uh, December 28, it's been revealed that Super League's leading officials have decided to support Neil Whitaker as the man to lead the unified competition in 1998. Yeah, and he's been really the person that, for the most part, made this happen. I mean, you've got to remember, he's negotiating with a media company, basically, that is running their own competition for the media company, whereas he's running a sport. He's running yeah. a sporting organisation. He's got many more things on his plate. 
he did an incredible job. It, he really should be, you know, he should be in the Rugby League Hall of Fame, I think, for all it, of this. No, I fully agree. You think this is his first year in the job. It's not even a full year. And look what he did. He ended a, you know, a four-year war. And he did it in a way that, you know, they had a really good year. The ARL had a really good year, a very good end to the year. Um, they went from being really struggling to being in a position of strength. You can talk about the way that the Super League war played out from from after the NRL was formed, but it's very hard to criticise the job that he did. Um, and... It's sad that it gets forgotten, and yeah. I don't I don't know why it gets forgotten. There, there's got to be a reason that his name doesn't get brought up a lot. And my well, guess is that the media, it's because the media types, they're all thinking about other people. I think it's more too that he he left the game pretty quickly. I think it was only a year or two later. Yeah, and he's been out of the media entirely since. Mm-hmm. You just don't hear from him anywhere. No yeah. one knows what he's doing now. No. Um, the last day of the year, Super League's Hunter Mariners are disbanded after merger talks with the Gold Coast Chargers break down. So essentially, Gold Coast has now killed two teams. How dare they? <laughs> South Queensland and Hunter. <laughs> and that's the end of 1997, huh? That is the end of 1997. What a year. Yeah, and really brings to an end the Super League war. For the most part, yeah. I mean, that's the <clears throat> that's the war side done between mm-hmm. two codes. What happens after this is not quite a war, but, you know, fractures, I guess, between the newly formed NRL and clubs because it's all about business from now on in. We can't go about being loyal to clubs because they've been around longer and whatnot. It's all about we need to make this thing profitable and making money because, as we've heard... There's so much debt that needs to be cleaned up. Yeah, expenses are out of control still at this point. Yep. There's no salary cap in place. Um, there's not enough money coming into the game at this stage. And one big shift is that now you've got the NRL, which, which ends up being a joint venture between – it's a 50% joint venture between the ARL and News Limited. And now all of the clubs basically turn towards the NRL and the NRL is now the enemy. <laughs> that, that's exactly it, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to do a 1998 episode. Yeah, and I think that maybe we could also do an episode where we talk about when we get to the end of this saga because there is still after effects that are felt after the Super League war. Um, when we get through those, I think we'll try and do an episode where we give our thoughts on everything that we've talked about in these episodes, how we think it played out, who was right, who was wrong, was anyone right, was anyone wrong, and who we feel won the battles, who lost the battles, and how we think it overall affected the game. Sounds like a good idea. Excellent. Super League War Chat. Yeah, we can do that. Oh, thanks for enduring us, everyone. We won't ramble on too much longer because this has been quite a slog. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for tuning in. Uh, make sure you check us out on 
Twitter and, and Instagram at Fergo Freak Pod. We're on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube. So check us out over there as well. And uh, yeah, we'll catch us all next time.